out of left field, but we've got okay. Coinbase coming uh, with a direct listing. And it, I looked back when you were on, it was July of 2019. We were talking about Libra, and you didn't like Libra, but you were very positive about Bitcoin, which subsequently went from seven or 8,000 to where the new high today at 63,000. Coinbase now coming public. When a lot of government types, you're, you're very rare for someone to be positive about this. And I, I don't know if you saw uh, Secretary Yellen and Fed Chair Powell talking about it. Do you think that they have a feeling or a good understanding of, of, of digital currencies or Bitcoin at this point? Do they need a little remedial reading, a, a little reading of the Bitcoin standard? What, what would you suggest? Well, I think I was right then and I'm right now. I think they tried to ignore it to make it go away. I think J Jamie Dimon will tell you that from the beginning he was wrong. This is moving towards the future. They should not ignore it. They should not only learn more about it, but the basis is going to continue to grow. And this is something that those who regulate, those who are in government that make policy, better start understanding what it means for the future because other countries are moving forward, especially China. I do not want America to fall behind. I want the next century to be ours. That's why I want to look forward, not backwards, and not keep my head in the sand. Okay. Oh shit, happy Bitcoin Tuesday, freaks. What a fucking day it's been. Uh, that, that Bitcoin FOMO hitting us fucking hard, the best drug there is. Uh, welcome to another episode of Citadel Dispatch. This is episode 17, the interactive live show about Bitcoin distributed systems, privacy, and open source software. To those joining from the audio streams, whether that's our two podcast feeds, Tales from the Crypt or Citadel Dispatch dedicated feed, or Sphinx, Breeze, other podcasting 2.0 apps. Um, that was Joe Kernan, our boy Joe Kernan from CNBC Squawk Box, the number one Bitcoin podcaster in the space, uh, speaking with Republican House leader from California, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who basically is sending out a warning shot on CNBC to other House of Representatives uh, members. Uh, if you do not support Bitcoin, then you are against America, which is a pretty crazy fucking thing to see on mainstream television. I want to do a quick shout out to all the freaks who are streaming us sats through Podcast 2.0. You help make this show completely ad free and sponsor free. That is pretty fucking cool. It's just really cool to see the fucking little lightning payments come through. And I appreciate that. That is a special connection uh, we have. Um, and another big shout out to the ride or die freaks that join us live every week. Um, without you, this show is, is basically nothing. So, um, appreciate you guys coming in here and being heavy participants in the live chat. Um, whether that is on Twitter, Twitch, or YouTube, another reminder that you are able to view the videos after the fact on telegram and Keybase. all videos are uploaded there in full. Um, on the other platforms, you know, some of the music video material might be removed or muted. 
uh, per copyright rules. It is what it is. Um, with all that said, I want to welcome a return guest, a good friend, and the co-founder of The Verge. Uh, future Paul is joining us today. And oh, wow. thank you, Paul. Um, sorry for not giving you a good break there to to introduce yourself. H how are you doing? You doing all right? I'm glad you're having me on to talk about my essay, Christianity for Bitcoiners. <laughs> um, and uh, and we have proof of Keegs here, Keegan, co-founder of Start9 Labs. I met him at Bitblock Boom this year. Cool dude. Uh, building a really cool product that a lot of the freaks seem to love. Uh, welcome, Keegan. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. Thank you for joining. It's been a long time coming. Today, we will be talking about Bitcoin nodes self-hosting, number go up, and all things Bitcoin related. It's going to be a fucking fun time. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I think a great place to start uh, is I'd kind of like, I would, I would like Keegan to start with a explanation of what the fuck a Bitcoin note is. I have this poll up to our, to the viewers who are coming in through video. Um, do you use your own Bitcoin note? Uh, this is very scientific. This was a Twitter poll. Uh, 5,500 people responded. 35% um, said yes. 35% said no. 550 people said, what is a node? Um, and uh, <laughs> 1,000 people asked to see the answers. So, Keegan, what is a Bitcoin node? Yeah, so for the 500 of you that asked what the fuck a Bitcoin node is, uh, that's how, A, you know what the ledger even says. Uh, in it, so the, the, one of the main central properties to Bitcoin is the fact that there is no central authority, but there still is an authoritative state of what the ledger is. That's what tells you how much Bitcoin you have. It tells you, you know, when you've been paid, when you paid other people. And so if you're not looking to an authority to be like, yo, how much is like, how, how much does this address have? You have to ask yourself, which is your, your Bitcoin node. And the only way to do that is to, to basically run the software, verify every transaction from Genesis, which is one of the few things that Bitcoin does that basically no alt even purports to do. Um, because, you know, it running a node has been a staple of Bitcoin culture, thankfully, for like the last, you know, uh, you know, pretty much since the, the block size wars concluded. So we can, I guess, talk more about that later. But at the end of the day, the only secure way to know whether or not you've been paid and how much money you have is through running a Bitcoin node. Anything, if you're not using your own, you're using someone else's. And so go. you have to trust that person. Uh, Paul, what do you think of that explanation? Yeah, I, I really like that. I, it's very helpful, I think, for new people to understand, like, like, I almost like visualizing Bitcoin as like an Excel spreadsheet or it's like a huge shared doc, you know, and uh, the like you, you don't ask for that from Google. You just you you can build your own copy. And I don't know, it, it's. Um, it's so different than how you normally interact with software that it, there is a lot to learn about it, but it is it's so beautiful in that it, it, it answers every gotcha like what do you mean like everybody just agrees that this is what bitcoin is and then it works and then it, 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 it does work and the node is is like a huge aspect of that <laughs> um yeah crypt loco from the chat is saying asking strangers for how much money you have lol is yeah like when you put it like that it's completely ridiculous that people don't run their own <laughs> nodes right 
Um, yeah, hundred percent. So, so, so to, to just distill this because it's a, it's a topic that I've had to discuss a lot. Um, I think Keegan nailed it right at the end. There is, is the key thing is if you use the Bitcoin network, you're going to, you're going to have to use a Bitcoin node to interact with the network. Uh, that's either going to be your own node or it's going to be someone else's node. If it's someone else's node, then you're trusting their node. If you're trusting their node, you're trusting their node with your privacy and you're trusting their node with actually verifying everything's going on. You know, whether that's how much Bitcoin you have or whether that's the consensus rules. What is Bitcoin? Um, so it's absolutely imperative that people exercise the right to use their own node, not only run their own node, but use their own node. Um, that's what makes Bitcoin different than so many other systems, because you're able to use it um, in this trust minimized way where you don't have to rely on a third party. In most cases for people, that third party is their node provider. Can can you guys contextualize this where you would put it in the priority scale? Like if I'm if I'm trying to get my funds off of Coinbase, for instance, you know, uh, I've, I've I've heard the the not your keys, not your coins. So I've got like a cold card now. I'm ready to move my funds, and then everybody's telling me, well, you 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 know, you're not really a Bitcoin unless you've got your own node to like verify these transactions when you're moving your funds off of Coinbase. Like, is it okay that your first time, like maybe you, you use the wallet's like default, like whatever it's connecting to, and you just trust this node for starters? Like, like how imperative is it that you are verifying your own transaction? Trust is not a death sentence, right? It really depends on how much of your, you know, uh, financial well-being is tied up in Bitcoin and how much you can afford for whoever you're trusting to cheat you, right? So if you're dicking around with a, like a few dollars worth of Bitcoin, right? And, you know, you're largely not really interacting with the network yet. Like, yeah, it's totally fine for you to um, have, like you have other nodes that you're trusting in the, in the interim as you sort of get your setup off the ground. But if you're, you know, talking about accepting Bitcoin in order to like sell a very large, uh, you know, piece of property, whether it's like a house or a car or something like that, or you're trying to get paid for your, you know, time, which is one of the most, which is the most scarce asset that each of us have, right? Uh, then now all of a sudden it's, it's a lot more important. So it, it really comes to do, it comes, it comes down to how much exposure you have if it goes wrong. Well, like, like everything else on the show, right? There's like a shit ton of nuance. Like, I don't think it's very productive that like the Luke juniors of the world like scare the shit out of users and tell them that they own no Bitcoin if they don't use their own node. Um, even though that might be technically true, uh, in practice, at least from the verification side, there's been no large scale cases of people getting duped into thinking they own Bitcoin when they don't own Bitcoin. So the best example would be uh, Ledger or Trezor, right? The, like an overwhelming majority of freaks probably use Ledger or Trezor's nodes. Uh, and they don't even realize they just use, you know, they use Trezor's wallet software. Or they use Ledger's wallet software with their hardware wallet. And they're trusting that that node. Um, those nodes have never been known to lie to anybody about which Bitcoin is theirs. Um, that doesn't mean it couldn't happen in the future, but that's never happened. Furthermore, you go and you like check maybe like blockstream.info or or ox.t.me or mempool.space, these other you know, these blockchain explorers that are running their own nodes and you verify that there's actually coins in, in your address on those services, 
then all of a sudden you're reducing the trust, even if you're not using your own node, right? Like it's you, you, yeah. you would need, you need like those four services to, to collude, to fuck you. Right. And in, in practical terms, that probably won't happen. But on the privacy side, I feel like the privacy side is way more tangible because it doesn't matter. Like, like obvious, of course it matters the verification side, but it, it on the privacy side, you're 100% trusting them with your privacy. They see every transaction you do. They see all of your balance checks. And if you're not using Tor, they see your IP address, right? So they can connect all that stuff. So I think for, for people on the on the node side, to see it as a tangible thing on, on privacy is a very um, insightful. I, 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 it's, like it, it's an insightful way to, to prove why a node is important. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, like nodes for privacy is definitely something that uh, it is an improvement than over using things like Ledger and Trezor's nodes or, or whatever. But it's also not a panacea either, right? right? If you, like you can spin up a bunch of nodes on something like AWS and try to corner specific nodes that you see. Not that each node identifies itself at all. So it's not like you know your node is broadcasting, being like, "Yo, right. I'm proof of Keeks's node. Uh, please corner me." So, but you know, there there are still pieces of analysis that you can do on nodes if you control uh, a decent number of the peers uh, that are near certain nodes. So it's right. it'd probably be even better to, to connect to things over Tor if you if you can. But you know, this is just you're just getting further and further out on the continuum <laughs> of, of privacy and and security and sovereignty and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is like the 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 prerequisite to try and start to use Bitcoin privately is to learn how to use your own node. Um, yes. So if, if you have any desire to try and use Bitcoin privately, and I understand that that's not for everyone, but it is probably for most people that listen to the show, um, it's going to start with using your own node, right? Yeah, for sure. But for the average person, to just go back to what Paul said, um, are we completely fine with them just moving it to a... To like uh, to to not using their own node, but self custody uh, first as a step, whether that's a mobile wallet or um, let's say or let's like say a hardware you got, wallet. You got yeah, two I grand mean, on 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 Coinbase or Cash App or whatever. Yeah, ten, uh, I, at ten grand, at ten grand. Oh, well, I mean, it depends on how much ten grand is for you, because it, it's really more about how much of your own life can get fucked over. It's less about the amount, right? If 10 grand is going to fuck you over, you, you need to run your own node in order to sort of verify that. If it's not, then like, I, you know, I, I can't tell you what you should or should not do with respect to your own risk profile. But I would say in terms of the ordering of things, like I think it's more important that people hold their keys than it is that they run their own node in just in a sort of practical sense. Um, but you should do both. Um, that's the, really the only way to, to be sure that you have what you have. If only there was an easy way to run your node. <laughs> <laughs> if only. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, that, that should segue. Uh, yeah, into, let's let's uh, fucking go. So so you're the co-founder of Start9 Labs. What's what's the yeah. mission? What is Start9 Labs? Hit us. So Start9 Labs' purpose is to increase the sol like the digital self-sovereignty of people on the internet. Um the the sort of short pitch is that like the internet has become an its own force of nature. Like we've had elections that are swayed by uh, happenings on the internet. And so uh, the internet is just way more important than it was like 20 years ago. And so 
uh, as such, it's more important than ever that people are the custodians of their own digital lives. And yet for the last couple of decades, we've been sort of outsourcing more and more and more of that to various large companies who don't have your best interests at heart. They give you services for free. And so they have to monetize it by selling you out the back door. And so uh, there are numerous things, ways outside of that, but they all involve running your own server software, which is not unlike running your own Bitcoin node. So we just provide a platform to make that as easy as we possibly can while still letting the users retain as much control over their uh, digital lives as possible. Um, so the, the product started with a one-click install of a Bitcoin node. That's uh, why it's pretty relevant to this discussion, uh, but quickly extended to things like Lightning nodes as well. And then, uh, you know, we've also deployed like a, a Google Drive equivalent, like a file uh, called File Browser um, and, and various other services that uh, we deem to be sort of mission critical to a lot of people's lives. Awesome. Um, so, I mean, if we're going to distill it, if we're going to distill it to like a marketing pitch, um, like the cloud is someone else's computer and start nine's goal is to put that computer in your closet. Yep. That's exactly right. We, we want you to hold you. We, we want you to be in custody of your digital life all the way down to the metal. But you can be just a pleb that doesn't know what they're doing. Yep. Um, or we, we, we try to get, take you further out. We, we try to give you more leverage, right? Nothing about this is going to absolve you from having personal responsibility of some kind, but we can give you tremendous amounts of leverage where you only have to know a little bit about what you're doing as opposed to tons and tons of extraneous details that it would take to run this software were it not for a product like the embassy. Right. So, I mean, one of the things that I really like about the embassy, I mean, so so this idea of self-hosting is something that we've talked a lot about on the show so far. Um, it's still a very young show. Uh, it's, you know, we only started at the end of 2020. Um, and we've talked a lot about self-hosting and, you know, running your own shit, whether that's Bitcoin or whether that's, whether that's other things. Um, and it seems like in this world of, of censorship and, and, top-down moderation from these centralized platforms, um, there should be like a pretty organic push to people basically moving to self-hosted alternatives, right? Um, it, it, when people get burned, they naturally have this incentive to, to move. Um, now, what it seems to kind of push back against that incentive model is basically ease, like switching costs, like ease of move. Um, and, and that's like twofold. That's not only UX, that's also cost, right? And I think one of the things yep. you guys have done really well, because you're not the only ones specifically in the Bitcoin space, you're not the only ones who are working on this kind of model, is you really brought it in at a very competitive price point. Uh, yeah. You want to talk about like the importance of, of, of that? Yeah, I mean, well, it just it's a philosophy thing primarily. Like the price point that we picked, we brought it in at, I mean, one of the things that my co-founder and brother, uh, Aiden, uh, Twitter handle Dr. Bones said is that like, if the technology isn't broadly accessible to people, it will be used as an instrument of uh, sort of inequality and uh, like oppression, right? And so obviously there's a certain level at which it becomes unsustainable for us, in which case this technology doesn't get brought to market at all. But uh, we're trying to keep it as competitive as humanly possible. Um, in order to get it into as many hands as we physically can. 
I dig it. Um, Paul, what's going on over there? I'm trying to look at, I just, I just, so, uh, I don't know if this is a counterpoint, but a, as a, a alternative solution, I recently bought a pie, got the case, got the hard drive, plugged them all together and put umbral on it. Um, and that's been working really well for me. And I was just trying to figure out <laughs> how much I spent. Cause like, it's looked like you can get the eight gigabyte embassy for, uh, for 300. Like how big is the hard drive? Well, the the, that's what they did. They 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 run it all off the SSD and pruned. I mean, they run it all off the SD card and pruned mode to get the that's cost correct. down because the SSD is the most expensive part of, of yeah. these other nodes. Yeah, the SSD is 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 comparatively quite expensive. We currently do run everything off of the SD card for now. Um, we do have an upgrade in the works. Uh, we've talked about this at various points. This shouldn't come as news to anybody who's been following the project. But for anyone who hasn't, the like one of the forthcoming releases is going to be uh, moving some of that data to a more reliable like storage medium because one of the criticisms we've received and rightfully so is that like the SD card is reliable as you know some of the alternatives, but we have taken already precautions. I know that sixty one hundred two is asking in the chat right now how long will the SD survive? Um, the SD cards that we sell uh, are like high endurance models. They're designed to take lots and lots of write cycles. And even when they wear out from a write cycle standpoint, you can still read all of the data off of them. Uh, so it's not like a tremendous problem, but we would like it to be better. We're constantly trying to improve the product. And one of the ways that we are going to be doing that is allowing external drive support in the near future. It, isn't uh, just that add, also wait. necessary to, for like Electrum personal server? Uh, could you say need, that again? Don't you need the whole blockchain for for to do Electrum, or am I mistaken on that? Yeah, so so I think for uh, for EPS for Electrum Personal Server, like uh, Belcher's project, um, you do need the entire uh, chain. Actually, no, no, you, you might not. I, I'd have to actually check on that. And realistically, I don't know if I can do that at, th at this exact moment. But I think either for EPS, way. I think for EPS, you need the whole chain. And for Electromex, you can do pruned. And I I, don't, I think it's the other way around. Yeah, it looks but, like I, I'm on the Oh, GitHub. yeah, it is the other EPS way around. Because Electromex is, is the server one. It's better for a server. Yeah. And so so what we do right now also is that there's we have a, a secondary service on the embassy called Bitcoin Proxy which will dynamically fetch blocks. Like when, when they, it's asked for a block, it'll dynamically fetch it from a peer and then verify it against the headers that you keep. So for people that don't know how like the, the, the pruning system works in Bitcoin Core, it's that the block data itself is erased from the disk, but the header uh, is kept. And it has to be kept for proof of work reasons, which is how your node is able to know what the most valid uh, or the, what the highest consensus uh, chain is. And so uh, all you would need to do is download the block from a peer and then check it against the header that you kept. And, you know, you would still know that it was valid, even though you didn't have it on disk. But you don't have and Electrum so, support anyway, right now. We don't right. have Electrum support at, at the moment. Um, but we are working towards getting, I, I think BWT is something that we were looking at for a bit, right. which is Shesx project, which is also Electrum based. And that works for pruned. I know that works for pruned node. It's on, it's yeah. on the service roadmap on the website. The, the, yeah. I mean, the key thing here is, is Keegan said the, and, and I, the reason I'm answering this is because this was the first critique I gave them. Um, but you missed this Keegan is, is, it's a twofold with the SD card, right? You use performant SD cards 
as performant as possible. And then second of all, you cover your ass with the backups. And whether Correct. that's the yes. seed backups or with lightning, you have static static channel backups to a USB drive, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, you can plug in a, a, any any like storage medium into the USB port, and then you'll be able to back up the, the entire service data and, and restore it uh, to another embassy. It's like the, we don't do anything fancy necessarily with like uh, the the data storage. So you wouldn't necessarily have to recover it to an embassy, but for obvious reasons, we don't support support one click restores to anything other than the embassy. Yeah, but lightning, it's risky always. Uh, We do do something special for lightning in the case of both LND and C lightning, which is that uh, we don't actually back up or restore the state that can cause you to get all of your channel funds stolen. It's SCB, so, right? It's static channel. It's just so the you, SCB. So that it automatically closes your channels and restores it to your seed. Correct. But so so the key here for the freaks is is trade-offs are made to keep the cost down and they were mitigated through these techniques. Um, and an SSD version should be coming relatively soon, I guess. Right? Yeah, so, uh, soon TM. It's like the, it's Yeah, it's 2 the, weeks. There, <laughs> uh, not two weeks. I cannot really <laughs> say it'll be longer than that. But uh, I do when... know that it is it more than one of our developers is working full time on that particular work stream right now as their pro- number one priority, and we try to interrupt them as little as humanly possible. Just to it's be clear, to me, there's not like a Raspberry Pi case that is exactly perfect for making a full note. And if if there was. It'd probably be a little suspect because <laughs> it'd be it'd be too much too 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 much of a good thing to a little hot honey pot. But but yeah, well, I like, feel like a raspberry a raspberry case is like a perfect arguing topic for Bitcoiners. Like everyone probably has their favorite raspberry case that's perfect for a node, though. No, that's the thing. There, it, it should it, it should include because they're they're coming out with ones now that like because you can there's this Raspberry Pi compute card, right? So it doesn't have all it's, it doesn't have all the I/O broken out. It's just pretty much the chip, um, and then you can plug it into a board. And so they have these boards that have their own I/O, and they'll like put like um, like um, an NVMe drive or something like that, or or you know they they can do like <laughs> PCIe expansion from like you know this one tiny little compute card. But I haven't seen one like people. I think people buy them to like make a, like a NAS. <laughs> or, like, but but uh, there should be like a perfect. Com- you like, see, ja, yeah, za, za, eight pi cluster, exactly maximalist. No, but just you're sidetracking us, Paul. First of all, uh, Keegan, uh, the what were we talking about? We were talking about fuck. I completely forgot what. Um, well, I mean, we were talking about various like pieces of redundancy and and like uh, sort of safety. Uh, around these sorts of uh, pie projects, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I if you remember. don't have something, there's some there's some stuff in the chat that I actually did want to address. Sixty one yeah, asked it. a couple of questions that the one, how long will the SD card last? And the 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 ones that we sell, not the ones necessarily. Like if you did the DIY uh, embassy project, uh, I can't make any guarantees about the quality of the SD card that you put in your uh, your DIY. But the ones that we sell from HQ will last as long as you're not doing like IBD and then nuking your device and then IBD again in uh, mm-hmm. initial blockchain download. Like as, as long as you're not doing that, it'll last for like, you know, at least four years. If probably, uh, I think our 
like some of our calculations had it at six, but, uh, you know, obviously the, the more activity you put on it, the shorter the lifetime is. But as I said, also when you, when they, when they do fail, they fail to write, they don't really fail to read. So you can actually just copy it over to a new one and sort of keep going. Um, and then the second question that 6102 at, or, or thing that he brought up, which I want to talk about is, uh, using raid, which is a redundant, uh, storage medium such that like e individual drives can fail without having the, uh, the entire file system on the device fail all at once. Uh, that is something that we are considering very closely. I have been advocating for it for quite some time. It, it's work that has not been scheduled, but uh, it's very much on our radar and things that I uh, <laughs> I ask for one of our, I ask, I ask my, my brother and co-founder Aiden uh, weekly for that feature, so. I think backup is really interesting. Like I, I had a node a little while ago that was just kind of on a, like a, kind of old desktop PC that I had sitting around and I set it all up and I spent all this time, got it up and running and then and it died because it was old, bad hardware. And it's like, well, I, now I just got to do every little step that, that I, this was like pre umbral. I got to do every little step all again. So I do like this idea. Like, do, do you guys know the concept? They talk about this in like DevOps where your servers should be like cattle, not like pets. Yeah, I like, have heard that. Like in cloud computing, you you want the, the ideal state is that you could have one tiny little configuration file and then obviously backups of important state, but but that you could with a touch of a button spin up spin it up on any server in the world and it's it's identical and it works just the same. Instead of one precious server running somewhere that you're tending to and you're terrified, what if this goes down? Because then I have to get all the way back to my current scenario that I've achieved over years of tending to this pet server. Yeah. The, so I do, I do want to comment a little bit on that. Like the, the redundancy that you get from having like, from being able to spin these sorts of things up on demand is very helpful in most cases. But what it does is it introduces consistency problems between the data, between different, uh, copies of the server. So for things like your file servers, maybe that's not a huge issue. But if you do that with your lightning nodes, you're probably going to get your funds stolen. So it's not quite as simple as it might sound in order to get things uh, to be redundant in that way. What would be like the per like if you if you are your own bank and you're running lightning and stuff, I'm also interested in other services like like Bitwarden you guys have. Yeah, um, like that's something I use and I pay Bitwarden because they're holding on to my passwords. And I, don't, I really don't want well, they're to holding on to your encrypted passwords but yeah. yeah 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 so like i don't want i don't want to screw that up so i'm trusting them but i would like to get into a place where i trusted myself to run the box that holds my passwords um but like what is yeah that i mean ideal so, scenario i mean like we we have a bitwarden application on the embassy today um and you know we do we, that same backup system that I was describing earlier works just as well for Bitwarden, and it just replicates the state onto a second storage medium, um, which can be restored if you ever like lose or the the card breaks down and you have to restore it. So, hmm. so you just plug. It, in, so it's it's, it's you, just data, you know. <laughs> you just plug a USB drive in like like once a week or something, and you kind of back stuff up, and that's yep. not obviously not perfect for Lightning, but. Um, 
your your well no, no i mean it. you can just have right. a usb drive plugged in all the time right and just auto yeah. backs up to it. but That's no right. but you don't yeah. you don't well you don't there's like there's like a rule for this. You don't want backups in the exact same. If 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 your server catches on fire because embassy right, yeah. sold you a shitty case, True. you know, and then that's gonna melt the <laughs> USB use drive right next to you. Yeah. So the it depends on what your primary risk profiles are, right? Like all of the discussion around redundancy and uh, security can only be considered in the presence of like an actual threat model. So if you're like principally worried, like, a, yes, put lugging a USB stick to the back of your embassy and leaving it there is not going to save you from a house fire. Not unless the thing <laughs> is like, ex like very, very well engineered against heat or whatever. And I don't know of anything that does that, but it will absolutely save you from like a, uh, like data corruption on the card. Right. right, right or, right. or something like that. So it's, it's not a panacea to leave it in the back, but it's also not useless either. All right, so this so, is oh go ahead man this is a this is a, like so so when we're talking about like creating user-friendly uh ux right uh in in this type of environment like we're trying to we're trying to foster self-hosting in a user-friendly way a lot of times that results in you kind of making decisions for your user in terms of what their threat model is most likely like how do you circle that square right like just like what you just said right is if for some people you have the usb plugged in is best or some people they do it once a week but really the worst thing ux wise for a new user is almost being expected to make that choice and not even know yeah uh that's that's a great question um i'm not sure i have like a great answer for you on that particular on that particular one just yet we do want to get to a point where uh backups are a little bit more automatic because right now they are manual it does require user intervention right. and we do we do sort of show you when your last backup of each individual service was to try to encourage you know for so that you know like if, if you're exposed or not but you know uh the only thing that will get to uh automatic backups is if we do some sort of cloud service which we can do but then that, now, that trades off the availability for that trust component, right? Now, don't, dude, um, dude, sixty one hundred two solved it. Backup buddy, okay? <laughs> so sixty one hundred two <laughs> spins up an embassy, gives me an onion URL. I copy and paste, and that's my backup URL. And I've got like five megabytes, or you know, fifty, you know, like one gigabyte of whatever he he's willing to store for me on his embassy, right? And so I encrypt it locally back it up to that url and and we're 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 irl friends well not we're not irl friends we're uh internet friends and <laughs> and so we just trust each other and maybe i have a, a few backup buddies in case 6102 lets me down yeah Solved. so we would like we're actually very excited about the prospect of things like that including not just that but being able to pay for that hosting that backup uh with you know lightning micropayments over time uh and as long as you're like if you, it depends on whether you do full replicas or partial replicas but the same way that we use merkle trees in bitcoin you could use merkle trees to uh, have very compact proofs that you still actually hold the data um it's but this i i i need to be responsible here and when i talk about that particular thing that's that's like we're not even seriously researching that yet it's more about musing about things that we'd like to be able to do once we've gotten the, the stuff out of the way that we need to get done in the interim 
So um, Q, but, Q2. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, like, you know, we still got to get the external drive support uh, done first and, and stuff like that. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely stuff that we're very interested in, in making happen. I just remembered uh, what I forgot, uh, which is important because that was the first time I actually forgot something uh, on on Citadel Dispatch and didn't remember uh, within like 15 seconds of of just delaying time while I try and remember. Um, I wanted to tell you, Keegan, that when I made that joke about two weeks, it was a joke based on like a big. It's a flattening the curve. Meme. No, no, no. It's a Bitcoin. It's before flattening the curve. There was there was Butterfly Labs, one of the early ASIC miners that said two weeks you're going to get your your miners. And also Mount Gox was perennially two weeks away from adding Litecoin, which they never added. So it became like a it became like a Bitcoin meme that like every company was was going to get your dream feature in two weeks. Yeah, so that was a that's definitely a meme. I think that even transcends Bitcoin. Back before I actually got into Bitcoin, <laughs> a lot of companies would be like, "Yeah, we'll 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 have it in two weeks." And I think that's just more of a joke about like Scrum and Agile processes, which is a popular software development project management style, which everything is quantized into two week chunks. And so they're like, "You'll have it at the next release," and it's uh... like. I never put two into. So you think a lot of times these companies think it's just one scrum away. I don't know if they think that or if they're just trying to appease people. Okay. Um, you know, we're we like I I try to be responsible because here's the thing I don't really get to dictate these schedules. I you know I work at the the pace that I can and we get them out as fast as we can. Um, but I'm not actually aware of all of the moving pieces at any given moment that causes a particular feature to be able to get delivered by a particular date. Um, all I can tell you with certainty is kind of like what, you know, in, like people who work at start nine's priorities are right now that I'm pretty confident in. And so, uh, that's why I kind of made claims of that particular flavor. Fair enough. Um, I'm glad I got that off my chest. That was really bothering me for the last about 20 <laughs> minutes or so, 15 Mine minutes. Um, so, Matt, I mean, yes? Can I ask you a privacy question? <laughs> yeah, okay. It says support the show with L and URL, and there's a QR code, right? Yeah, already. I, had, I didn't even acknowledge it, and three freaks already donated through it. Let's say um, That's me, dope. me or a friend has strike. Right. Does that is that dox you to pay uh, that QR code with Strike? Are you? Are, no, are you, do I don't you know if Strike. Them? I don't think Strike supports LN URL, so I don't think you can. Um, V four LR four V three N is asking if I can move the QR code to block the Coinbase Pro price. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I'm I don't know, man. I like I I tried to make this work like forty five minutes before the show started, so. Uh, it's going to be a work in progress. So I'm going to try and figure out how to move it around. It's just cool that you could have a static QR code just to the to the freaks that are listening to the audio stream. Um, we have a static QR code up on the screen uh, using LNURL. Basically, if you scan this with a with a uh, compatible Lightning wallet, it connects to the URL that the QR code is there, and it serves them a unique invoice. So every invoice is different. Um. And it's it's a way to accept payments uh, in a static way that's more privacy conscious than let's say just providing like an on-chain address. 
Um, in this case, uh, it's you know it's not it's not my node. It's it's using Fiat Jeff's uh, LNTX bot, which is a Telegram bot uh, that's a custodial Lightning wallet that provides you with LN URL functionality. And you can find my static QR code at lntransactionbot.bigsun.xyz slash at Matt O'Dell, which is a fucking mouthful. So instead, mm. the QR code goes on the top right. Nice. Did that answer your question? Absolutely. In Thank the you. meantime, we've had five freaks. Five freaks have donated through that. That's pretty cool. Uh, and I guess some wallets allow them to provide messages. So I, I don't know. It was just something that... I think it's sorely needed this idea of providing something that's static for donations uh, without having like a BTC pay server that doesn't. And the key here is, is maybe my privacy is still kind of not great on the receiver side, but the sender side privacy is significantly better. Right. So like if I, if I had like a static on chain QR code, um, that would be way you can, you could see all the donations come through sending address it came from. Right. Like right mm -hmm. on chain. You can't do that with this. Yeah, does I mean, that that's because sense? Lightning in general does not actually propagate every payment to every node in the network. That's like the whole point. <laughs> yeah, I. it's weird. Like when Lightning was starting out, I like learned everything about Lightning. I was so into Lightning. And now I feel like I need like, um, I need to like go back to Lightning school. Like I forgot everything I learned about it because I like st stopped paying attention for like a year, and that's on me. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's definitely like different levels of understanding lightning, right? There's the sort of the the way that you understand it of like, okay, it's just a series of of bilateral agreements between people, and then there's like the okay, like what messages actually get passed across the wire, and like there's the entire continuum between. And it's it's a very deep hole. Like right. I myself actually haven't reached the bottom, and I work in this stuff every day. Right. Like how how do you do onion routing if you don't? If how do you pick a route if you don't know what all the hops are? Uh, I mean, you do know every node in the graph and every channel that exists, but you don't know what the relative balances of each counterparty on that uh, channel are. So if like you and I have a channel. And like we've opened one, the whole no, the whole network, unless we've made it a private channel, like the whole network knows that you and I have a channel together. But if it's like, if I have like one Bitcoin on my side and you have like half a Bitcoin on your side, no one's going to know that that versus like if it was the other way around, like you can't tell. The only way that you can tell is you can just try to route a payment through it and it'll either succeed or fail. Right. Yeah, I got a lot. I got a lot of work to do on this. Well, the the nuance the nuance there is if you have a private channel that is lower, if you you could have a private channel. Let's say me and you are routing nodes, and we have like fourteen million sat private channel. We could have like a one million sat public channel, and we could route through that private channel, uh, but people wouldn't know the private channel exists. But the max payment would be one million sats. It would be whatever Correct. the public channel is showing. But you you could only route through. Only you can route through a private channel. No, unless you have a, a mirroring public channel. So sometimes sometimes routing nodes will have a public channel that shows less capacity than their private channel really has in the background, and that private channel can dynamically route through that private channel. Um, uh, if they have a public-private 
situation, which apparently I'm told some of these large, you know, regulated KYC type nodes have shadow private channels amongst their their publicly okay. broadcast channels. So, so the wait, reason wait, you uh, might want to do that as well is because uh, that will gate the, the maximum payment size that people will attempt to do. Uh, I don't know as much about how C Lightning works, but I recently learned that LND will actually pick the quote unquote optimal channel to forward a payment through. Uh, even if uh, the one that was requested by the, the source was different. So if you have like three channels between the same two parties, it'll pick the one that's most likely to work. And so in this case, it might be your really fat private channel, even though what was requested was that public one. And if the public one is only 1 million in size and the, the private one's 14 million in size, the maximum payment size is going to be like 1 million. And, you know, you're not crushing the entire liquidity of the channel in one shot. So just just to rewind a little bit, and I, I'm sorry, I'll let you guys get back on track, but this is helpful for me. So I, assuming Strike supported uh, LNURL, I'd scan this QR code. My, you know, uh, okay, let's assume I actually have an actual Lightning node. My Lightning node would make a plan for like, I think I know how to get to this destination. And then it would ship it off in an onion or whatever. And then those will get passed hop to hop in the hops in the, the plan that I started out with. But along the way, those actual nodes could make their own decisions of how they actually route it. Correct. Nice. Cool. This is helpful. And, but it, lim limited decision making, <laughs> right? It's not like sure, it can sure, totally sure. change the route. But like if and and uh, Anthony from the chat uh, correctly points out that Sea Lightning doesn't actually uh, allow multiple channels between the same pair of peers at the moment. Uh, so Sea Lightning cannot do the thing that I described earlier. But LND, if you have like three channels between the same two peers and one of them was requested and it won't work, it will actually choose a, an alternative one. Uh, between the same peer. So from the, the source's perspective, the route from a, a node's perspective looks exactly the same, even though the actual channel points that are being used might be slightly different. Hmm. Um, Cortic in chat asked, um, it just scrolled off the screen, but something like, what are the KYC nodes? And and the idea with the KYC node, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's the idea that like, if I'm paying from Strike, Strike is KYC'd, and so, and if I pay Matt, Strike knows, oh, you just paid this destination. So I know where this money went and I know who it's from. So in some sense, Strike is keeping track of who is getting, you know, not, not that they know the name of the person at the other end, but you know, it, if it's publicly advertised, it might be pretty obvious. And so now there's a record somewhere that this, this node received funds from this specific government person like a, a government named person. Is that correct? I'm not quite sure I understand the scenario being laid out here. Like the, the privacy risk of, of spending from strike to a, 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 a random lightning node is that strike is keeping track of that payment. Right. It's, they, it's, 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 yes. It's when, when you scan, when you scan a lightning invoice, a traditional lightning invoice, it includes a your lightning nodes public key of the receiver okay that public key does not change supposedly there's work being done to rotate that but right now 
that do- that doesn't change. So that public key can be tied to an individual. And specifically, if the lightning payment has a memo in it, so I say, Paul is paying me for my baby shower, right? Then Strike knows that Paul is paying his friend to this public key, and that guy just had a baby, right? Because they know the they know what's in the invoice as well. Now, yep. there's an interesting there's there's two interesting exceptions there. The first is a custodial lightning node, um, which is what the case is here with this LN URL test that we just did. Uh, or if you use Blue Wallet, or if you use Wallet of Satoshi. Um, these are two major custodial Lightning nodes. The other one is Moon, actually, Moon Wallet, which is quickly becoming one of my favorite recommendations to noobs on mobile, automatically rotates your public key. So every invoice through Moon Wallet has a different pub key. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I found that out today. Did they, like, fork, like... Uh, I have no idea. I have themselves. no idea what's happening behind the scenes. They could just be stealing. Every, I, I don't. I don't think they're stealing people's money. But I have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. I just know that every time, if you go to lightningdecoder.com, um, you can't. Yeah, sixty one and two just spelled it. It's spelled M U U N. Very cool mobile wallet, multi-platform. Um, if you go to lightningdecoder.com, you can put a lightning invoice in, and it will tell you what is being shared by that invoice. Um, and in that invoice, it'll always show a pub key. And usually that pub key should be fixed. If you're just paying someone's LND on their start nine, um, you're paying their umbral node, you're paying their breeze wallet, um, that public key will always be the same. With Moon, it's different every time. I think this is something that's really cool. Uh, this, this is something we'll like learn over time. And obviously there, there could be improvements to lightning as well, or there could be like L2 or whatever. I don't know what that is, but, but, the, but there is also, there's a lot that we think of as what lightning is, is just based on how it's implemented. So how C lightning chose to do it or how L and D chose to do it or how um, LDK chooses to do it or, or whoever. Uh, it, it, and it, it, I think we'll like, I'm learning more about lightning by like trying to differentiate between what the core protocol is and what the implementations do in practice. Yeah. Like the, the, the different implementations, the, some of the, the things that we've already talked about are like, you know, C lightning doesn't allow multiple channels between the same pair of peers, but uh, you know, LND doesn't allow dual funding of channels, but C lightning does like recently uh, released experimental support for that or, you know, ver- various uh, decisions made differently is actually quite hard to keep up with. Um, mm. I'm surprised that anyone can. Uh, I've tried and I'm very behind. Some of them don't even define certain things at all, such <laughs> as like LDK, right? LDK yeah. doesn't actually define a, like a storage medium. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, they leave that yeah. up to the user. We're still very early. Um, well, and this LN URL stuff is built on, t- it's almost like a layer three, like it's built on top and it's, it's not really a standard percent. I mean, I guess like in this in this distributed world, this is how standards happen, just like through peer pressure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like there's you're, you're, like the majority of wallets. The majority like of wallets fail when they scan that QR code. Right. Yeah. Let's give Jack shit about that. 
I mean, how long did it take to get Betch 32 into various wallets? Right. Like Coinbase didn't support it until like rather recently. But the cool part about Lightning is we don't have to deal with the consensus bullshit, right? Uh, sort of. I mean, Lightning, you don't have to deal with L1 consensus bullshit. Right. Like obviously there's there's a an L like a, there's there's a certain amount of consensus in lightning if it, if only on how the messages are formatted, right? Uh, right. Yeah, there was a yeah. What was it like caps caps invoice? Oh no, that was back 32 caps addresses. Yeah. But I think wasn't there caps invoices? Wasn't that a thing for a little bit whether or not we do caps invoices or lowercase? Yeah, I don't remember. <sighs> I think it, we it moved was- to caps. What? You could you could in a similar way to lo- layer one, you could fork yourself off of the Lightning Network by being incompatible with it, but in a very different way, you would not be creating a new money. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. You right. just wouldn't work, <laughs> or or maybe because you had such a good idea, you'd work way better, and everybody would choose your your thing, and and then that's ha- what would happen now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a completely different trade off balance, and it's pretty cool because you can have quicker development on uh, layer two, uh, which we're yeah. seeing, we're watching it happen in real time. Well, and and like there's different this whole like there's this tendency to believe that there's like a layer a distinct layer one a distinct layer two etc. But even within some of these protocols, there's a, sort of a, a stratification within layer one and within layer two, and like one of the examples. I think is like some person just talked about derivation paths for HD wallets should be standardized and there's not enough peer pressure around that. Like it took a long time to get those derivation paths like, or BIP32 even. BIP32 is like sort of adjacent to layer one, but it isn't technically part of it. Addresses don't even show up in the normal Bitcoin protocol rules. Like if you try to look for any reference to an address in the actual protocol, like you won't find it. You'll just find certain scripts are standard and certain scripts are not. So, uh, the 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 derivation paths is another is an example of one of those things that's like adjacent, and so is like LNURL. It's not part of the protocol per se. Hmm. Yeah. Like that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I it it is um it is definitely a handful for someone who just comes into Bitcoin. Uh, for the first time, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I think at the end of the day, this is what happens when, uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with a protocol that for most accounts from, from what most people expect is, is going to outlive us all. Right. And, uh, it moves slowly. It is a dinosaur. And it needs to be right. Yeah. Um, this is, I think is a good segue. I don't know if you guys want to talk about Taproot at all. But, oh yeah, I already uh, I have it on my scratch pad. I saw you were in the meeting today. Yeah, I was kind of in and out. I was kind of managing some Start Nine release stuff and also trying to like you know actually help push that along. But I uh, you know I think I it's it's scrolled off at this point. But I think Anthony was saying like only one implementation matters at the at layer one. Um, we might we might see that change a little bit. And actually, it might not. It might already not be true because BTCD and Bitcoin Core are two different implementations, and they're. I, I mean, obviously, Bitcoin Core is, you know, widely widely used, but uh, some of the other implementations don't have trivial user counts either. Um, and as we get into this sort of this taproot, uh, um, wait, who doesn't have trivial user counts? 
Uh, BTCD. It's uh, trivial. It's still trivial. Okay. We might have different definitions of the word trivial, but uh, it is like the preferred <laughs> implementation for uh, LND. Right. Uh, fair. We, d yeah. we don't use it personally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anthony? Yeah. Anthony says, uh, don't get me started on BTCD. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't used it personally, so I don't really have anything good or bad to say about it. Uh, I just know that, you know, it, it is that preferred implementation for the LND team, um, primarily due to the language homogeneity. Um, they're written in the same same language. So, um, so let's talk about yeah. Taproot, because I have I have Ben the Carmen and Evan Kaludis coming on next week, and we're going to do like a deep dive into Taproot activation. Um, but like you can front run them right now. So hit the free. Yeah. I mean, th those, those guys are definitely going to be more knowledgeable and sort of involved on this topic than I am. But basically what's going on right now is everybody has decided they want taproot, but nobody can agree on exactly how to get it there. <laughs> um, and as a result, we don't have taproot. Uh, and so there's a, the, there's kind of a, the main divergence is really how forcefully do we want to come out the gate on getting it activated everybody wants to try something uh and the, the safest way to do that by far is to let the miners try to activate it but as we saw with you know 2017 and the segwit and block size wars and stuff like the miners can drag their feet and not activate it and like they do need some pressure sometimes and miners don't control the protocol either and so you do, you want the users to be able to have a say. And yet, you know, some people think that if you come out with a user activated soft fork out the gate, um, that that's a very forceful and, uh, and or antagonistic approach towards the mining community. So that's where we're at right now. Uh, I think, you know, the, the, the latest developments are on something called speedy trial, which is uh, hypothetically designed to fail fast if it fails so that we don't waste a whole bunch of time uh, and ultimately not end up with uh, an activated taproot. As opposed uh, to Ethereum, which is designed to fail slowly. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, maybe. It, I, I thought it failed when the Etsy fork happened, you know? Um, what, what's an example of two... two wow, you just pronounced it Etsy. That's interesting. That's incorrect. What? It's ETC, right? Okay, sure. <laughs> I like Etsy for like <laughs> knitting. Okay, Paul, what, what was your question? I apologize. No, what's 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 what would what would be an example of being too aggro to miners? Like the miners are like, whoa, this is all moving too fast for me. Like, what would that be? be? Well, okay, so what's the an extreme case of that? The one of the proposals on the table, known as BIP eight, has something that is called forced miner signaling, which means that even without the presence of actual taproot transactions that they have to verify the rules for, they have to sort of raise their hand and say, "Yo, I'm I, I promise I'm verifying these rules," and they have to say that in every block, irrespective of whether taproot transactions are in it or not, and I. Uh, and if they don't, then that block is considered invalid and it would basically cancel their revenue. So in some sense, they're not really doing any wrong because after, they're not actually... After, after it's activated, it would be that, co right? Correct. Uh, uh, during what is called the lock-in period, right? So yeah, a lot of... This is enormously complicated stuff, but the, the original proposal, the, the BIP-8 proposal basically said, okay that miners will include a special bit in the in the Coinbase transaction 
that basically says, hey, we support Taproot. And once a certain threshold of them do so, then it will uh, involve, like, it, it'll basically say, okay, like, Taproot's locked in, and now everybody has to signal for it. And if you don't signal for it, then your uh, blocks are invalid, even if there are no Taproot transactions in it. Um, and then it seems fair the, once it's locked in. Yep. And, and that's, that's right. It's, it, it is locked in, in which case it's definitely fair that if it's once it activates, if they're approving transactions that are invalid under the taproot rules, that their blocks should be rejected and that they lose out on the revenue. I guess, but the, it, the question is around like the, the minor in a coma. Yeah, it would break it for the the miter and the coma, which you know, on one hand, you want to have you don't want to be like ridiculous with how how quickly and how uh, forcefully you push these things through, but at the same time, you can't let one miner dragging their feet uh, be a reason to to hold up the rest of the network upgrade either. Um, I know that so so in the chat, V four LR four V three N is asking, is it possible that the lot consensus will not be achieved? So let me let me talk about what lot is for those of you who, who don't know. It's this idea that once we we're going to let miners try to voluntarily activate this for a period of time, uh, and the the most commonly agreed upon time frame for this is like twelve months after the deployment happens. But what happens at the end? Because if we don't for, we don't have a UASF, then miners effectively get a veto over the protocol or over over the activation of of uh, the of, of Taproot. And the problem with that is that if my if not everybody does mining, and it only you only require like an eleven percent of miners dragging their feet on it in order to sort of veto it indefinitely, a, a a vanishingly small portion of the community can essentially block this upgrade. So we don't necessarily want that. But on the other hand, the only real way to to avoid that scenario is to sort of have a a brick wall UASF at the end that says, all right, you know, we don't really care, miners, what you we're doing in the meantime, we're going to uh, we're going to activate this thing anyway, and you can either lose the revenue or you don't. Uh, and some people view that as unnecessarily forceful. I don't personally happen to agree, but uh, that is the other view, and it's actually you know of the long long time contributors to Bitcoin Core that is actually the majority view is that it is too forceful to start with a lot equals like with a UASF uh, finale, so to speak. It seems like it's you're trying to decide so much up front and like the whole point would be that you're trying to push this out to the network so that the like the network can signal what it wants. If you're like deciding everything all at once, it's just I don't know. It seems, so, it seems it seems to place so much on the developers to be correct in assessing what they think everybody wants. That I think you're right, and and that's actually the impetus behind the the speedy trial initiative that's going on right now. So after there was a lot of debate and argument and largely not coming to consensus on the the lock in on timeout parameter, the LOT, if you've seen it. Uh, people were like, okay, let's try essentially what is a uh, no lock-in at the end, but let's make the period really short so that if it fails, it fails quickly and we don't lose a, an entire year worth of time waiting for something that's not going to happen. And we can just let the miners activate it early if they want. And if they don't, then we can revisit this discussion in three months. Um, so that's kind of the, that that has the most consensus behind it right now. And that's, you hear, uh, so, so first of all, Keegan, 
fucking fantastic explanation. Yeah. So, thank so you. the freaks, everything he said, I co sign 100%. Um, Keegan, were you here for 2017's uh, war? I, 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 I owned Bitcoin as early as 2015, but I didn't right. really get into the space until the ICO bubble mid. You were in part the of the war. Of 2017, correct. I, I kind of, I, I came in right at the end when No 2x was the like Twitter that that sort right. of Twitter signaling, uh, and right before the S2x. Uh, like New York agreement failed. That's when I sort of came in as a, a person, as a contributor to the space. So, so, so the discussion doesn't make a hundred percent sense if you didn't experience that, because what happened, Paul, is that is basically there's a, there's a whole faction of Bitcoiners that, that lives with PTSD right now. Like at least they're rich, but they're, they're rich people with PTSD. And, uh, they 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 think the miners are out to fuck them because they we had Bitmain as the main the main miner they were the main ASIC manufacturer and they were the main miner mm -hmm. and they were the largest pool so they were they they controlled probably the most we don't know for sure but they probably controlled the most hash rate directly themselves they definitely had the largest pool and they were definitely the main manufacturer and they fucked with us right so so what happened what happened was we had to do basically a mexican standoff where users and devs kind of combined in an alliance to to run to run the uasf right and 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 so now you kind of have this ptsd where people have gone a little bit to the extreme right where they just want to they just want to jump to the mexican standoff right away when in fact we can just probably just have like a Mexican brunch and like we can just we can like make some eggs and see if the miners want to eat the eggs and if the miners eat the eggs and there's no need to point guns the, at each other. The, I I hear that at the same time the thing that the thing that bothers I just feel like so much is being placed on the developers, but the developers are also seem to be the ones that are against giving um, like a flag ability to when you run the software, you decide. Uh, and I, I just think like, like, you know, if, if, if it's non-controversial, you know, let people run the software and, and, and flag that they're interested in it. Because if, 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 if you get in this habit uh, and, and it seems unlikely that we're going to get a hab in a habit of easy soft forks, but yeah, that, I mean, that's not happening. That's not a like habit of easy, easy soft forks. You know, you, you can have sort of the, like, oh, I just run whatever the developers put in there. And if it changes consensus, it changes consensus, but you know. There's a bigger discussion here that I wanted to bring up with Keegan because I know he's super active in the Taproot discussion as well, um, is, is that we have more users now. So, so when 2017 happened, we didn't have, we didn't have Raspberry Blitz. We didn't have Noddle. We didn't have Mino. We didn't have Start9. We didn't have Umbral. Um, where do you see yourself, uh, Keegan, in terms of like, how does, uh, I'm a user, I'm using start nine, right. As my Bitcoin node, how do you provide to that user? Like, well, what is your goal with that user in terms of these types of situations? Right. I'm sure you thought about it. Yeah, for sure. I've actually run polls with our customers as well. So philosophically, we want our users to be able to choose because at the end of the day, 
that's what everyone's doing anyway. Nothing's stopping you from forking Bitcoin Core right now, putting in Taproot activation code and running that as your node, right? Obviously, if you're the only one doing that, you're, you're going to just fork yourself off the network and, and create a coin whose only user is you. But uh, at the same time, like, you know, node operatorship is political power in Bitcoin, at least to a degree. And we don't want to make that decision for our users if we can avoid it, right? So ideally, what we would like to do is to make this configurable. I'd like it to be in core itself to be a flag about whether or not, you know, to, to have, if there's no consensus on a particular uh, variable, what I would like is for core to release it in a configurable way. There are technical limitations to that, as I've been told, um, as well as it's not like there are some people who are genuinely worried that letting users just sort of set a flag when running a piece of software that causes them to get onto the wrong side of a chain split, if you will, uh, that that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And I, I sort of understand that as well. But I think that at the end, at the end of the day, if that's not what we're, if we're not going to allow ourselves to be there, then Bitcoin doesn't actually make a lot of sense anyway, yes. because that's the only way you can govern a system with no central authority that, is this messy it. way. That's so, so beautifully put because yeah, if, if, if Bitcoin isn't the sort of thing where you can accidentally soft fork yourself out of consensus <laughs> and now you don't have any money, then what is Bitcoin? <laughs> is Bitcoin right. a, a thing that, that, uh, you know, the Bitcoin uh, core gives us to, on a little gold platter <laughs> and we say, thank you, Bitcoin core. Yeah. So like, you know, uh, but obviously like, you know, ch <laughs> chain splits are bad for every user of Bitcoin. Like that's, that's an, you know, that is not a controversial statement. So I, well, I understand kind of both sides of it. for that one idiot who chain splits himself because he forks it himself. It's especially right. bad for that guy. And if it's you, especially it did, bad for that guy. If you do one no, no. solo fork, if, Wait, Paul, even if Paul. You, you and like I mean, five of your buddies soft fork Bitcoin, right. like, yeah, it really sucks for you. What? I'm so sorry. But it doesn't hurt any of the rest what? of us. Let's, it's important to make clear here, like I understand the provocative, like it's fun to be provocative, but it's important to make clear here that if you fork yourself off the network, you're not interacting with anyone else. There's like nothing to, you're not, you have no real threat of lost money. Um, as long as you're not like also sharing your private key with the world, uh, like the, the, the threat of lost money is minimal. You, you don't even have anyone to interact with. No one's on right, your fucking great. network. Well, really, the only, it's, it's lost. It's lost income, right? It's like the only thing that you lose is that in that period where you forked yourself off the network and didn't realize it, if you traded something of value that you had, besides, right. like for for well, supposed Bitcoin, and you know you didn't like. But that requires a second merge. partner. It requires could, someone yes. else on the network with you. Could could we Correct. make this like a little more tangible? Because I I really have been trying very hard to understand soft forks a little bit better. Let's say me and my five idiot buddies start a Bitcoin fork that activates Taproot right now, and then we start doing Taproot transact like um, um, Schnorr. We we're using Schnorr all the time, and we're sending Bitcoin back and forth with with each other using Schnorr. You know, like what? What actually happened there? So here's the problem, right? So well, let's talk about what Taproot <laughs> actually <happened>. is. Let's <laughs> well, it's actually I, I don't think that's true, uh, Matt. Like well, on the real you, Bitcoin, nothing happened. That's not true because here's the thing, or not not anything happened necessarily. When you when you send money to a Taproot output today, if you if if you were to basically generate something that had Taproot semantics and you sent money to that today, anybody could steal those funds because 
the way that undefined behavior works in the SegWit script versioning system works oh, is that the semantics of transactions are anyone can spend unless the block is later rejected. So it's right now there's this sort of gentleman's agreement that nobody uses SegWit versions that don't have defined behavior. And, you know, so, so like, because you'll like, get your coins stolen. And just to make that but, clear, like the, if the man in the coma wakes up, right, and and they were they went into the coma in like 2015, and they wake up, right, and they look at Bitcoin right now, they're like, well, what are all these transactions that are totally spendable? Like all these SegWit transactions look spendable to them, right? Correct. But they can't spend them because... So under the soft fork rules, they wouldn't be able to spend them, but under the previous rules, they would. And so as long as the majority hash power is uh, enforcing the soft fork, then uh, everything will converge and you'll eventually end up on a state where even if you tried to, s to spend those funds, you wouldn't be able to. So, so the man in the coma would wake up, sync his node, look at the blockchain, see all these like spendable transactions like, oh, well, it looks like I can spend that. So he transmit a transaction saying, hey, I own these, this money now. But the 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 network, which is now on soft fork, uh, uh, the SegWit soft fork would wouldn't would reject his transaction. Correct. Okay. So similarly with the, with with Taproot with the Schnorr, if if somebody started, um, I'll see now I lost track of it. Well, I, I have my my five friends who soft forked Bitcoin and they started Schnorr transactions with the taproot transactions with each other. Um, so all of their, all of their spins would look, if they transmitted those, those to the Bitcoin network that exists right now, their money would just look spendable to the Bitcoin network that exists right now. So anybody could claim those funds. Is that correct? Correct. That's right. Ah. Um, the soft fork rules prevent that except for the specific case where you're able to do a taproot witness. Right. Um, and so, so that's only one component of it, though. The other problem, and this is actually the, the bigger source of contention, I think, and that is what happens in the chain split scenario, right? So let's say that some people are enforcing some of the rule, enforcing these new rules, and some people are not. And uh, what that means is that if a miner mines a block where a non-taproot witness is used to spend a taproot output, then... Uh, half of the nodes will accept that because in their minds, anyone can spend this and the other half will not. And if the majority hash power is actually uh, following rules that are not uh, uh, taproot compatible, then you, like unupgraded nodes can get themselves into this state where they, they think the, the, the heaviest chain that they can see is the valid one. And uh, they'll th that will be one side of the split. And then the ones that uh, are validating taproot rules will reject that heaviest chain and will take the second heaviest chain uh, as the alternative. And now all of a sudden there's two different ledgers that seem from an economic standpoint to have equal validity. And that's really bad. Because it doesn't matter how much hash rate you, you have, if you are following the wrong rules, you're not Bitcoin. Correct. What? Maybe not. What are the correct rules? Wait, 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 wait. If I broadcast a Taproot transaction today, Taproot's not activated. Mo all the nodes, 99% of the nodes are going to reject that transaction. They're not even going to take not, the transaction, right? No, that's not true. Oh, oh, standardness. Yeah, there, there might be a standardness issue. 
Um, it, it, but if if a Taproot transaction shows up in a block, uh, then it will be spendable by anyone. Now that said, I think will it show up in a nodes, block though? If I did a transaction right now with Taproot, if you mine it yourself or you submit it directly to a miner, it, yeah. it could right. No problem. Because there's not. nothing there's nothing invalid about the transaction, and that's what right. makes this a soft fork. If it was fundamentally invalid by the consensus rules, Taproot would be a hard fork. Right. So what is Anthony saying? There's some sta non-standardness too, where pre-segwit nodes won't relay those transactions in the first place. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was saying, which is that uh, nodes that see this transaction and they don't understand it, they might just not relay it. Uh, uh, it won't technically be invalid, as in if they get a block with that transaction in it, they're not going to reject the block, but they're not going to relay the transaction. So it's not getting shared around the mempool. Correct. Interesting. Well, that's very confusing. It's Does enormously like it's it's. it's <laughs> It's enormously complicated stuff. I think that like even the the experts and I don't I don't even consider myself probably like in in the most knowledgeable on this particular <laughs> issue, right? They're like people like Luke Jr. and Matt Corolo, uh, despite being on vehemently opposite sides of this issue, know far more than I do. Yeah. Um, but We're it's like moved. even even the experts are <laughs> still in some sense speculating. Right. This uh, is a, a science and an art that is being defined in real time. Uh, I think that only the important thing is the important thing is if you fucking hold your keys, you sell your chairs, you buy Bitcoin, you stack sats, you stay <laughs> humble, you're holding your own keys, you run your own note. Like you, you can just sit it day, out. You can just sit it out. You can just sit it out. You don't have to, you know, worry about it. Like maybe, maybe you're like hot, you're like your hot funds are at risk if something radical happens uh your your lightning funds or whatever you're spending I, shit but like your your cold storage is just whatever you just you just let it go and and people might get angry at each other but in two months four months six months like they'll work it out right i i i want to uh, I, i'm holding bitcoin's designed to pump forever is what some people say yeah and, and some and people do that say that be, <laughs> for that to be true it has to totally work. It has to. It doesn't not... have to totally work. Nothing totally works, Paul. It can't. Well, it can't have a fatal flaw. Right. You don't have to well, totally work to not have a fatal flaw. Here's the thing. Even no, no matter what the conclusion of this taproot thing is, right? Uh, even if it results in a, like, a full-on chain split, uh, that let me make something abundantly clear. That will set Bitcoin back in terms of adoption. Uh, enormously but it will not kill bitcoin bitcoin the network will still keep pumping out a block every so often it probably won't be every 10 minutes because hash power will be split but uh it'll eventually get back split. to 10 minutes hash power is not going to be split for long the, the 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 incentives basically ensure that yeah and, and, and I think that the, the sound. I, want, I, yeah. I almost want to see that happen because i want to see bitcoin be able to snap no. back to like um, like I, yeah, I don't actually want to see it happen, but like I want, I want to have governance further fleshed out. Like governance is not something that Bitcoin necessarily solves, you know. Like it, everything that's inside of Bitcoin's purview, Bitcoin solves very well as far as my investigation of it so far. But Bitcoin is chaos insured. Like no one, every other, every other state of humanity 
has resulted in chaos being controlled by a few people, resulting in lack of chaos. And Bitcoin just guarantees that chaos will exist forever. Yeah, spend three seconds in the taproot activation discussions and you'll see that. <laughs> no <laughs> like, one can take control. Everyone's yelling at each other. Well, I, I shouldn't say they're yelling at each other. They're just I don't very want strongly anybody, disagreeing with each other. I don't want anybody to be in charge. I want to to better understand why all the incentives work to perpetuate Bitcoin. And part of those incentives are how do we do governance? I don't want anybody in charge. That would suck. And I so would leave. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that here's here's the way that I predict things are going to go, right? No, either the miners are going to activate it no problem when a release comes out, and that, that that's not going to be a, a thing that doesn't happen, right? Like we'll eventually get to a set of parameters we can agree on that doesn't involve a forceful UASF uh, to start because that seems like the way that core is going to go. And if miners activate, we're going to get taproot, no problem. So that's the happy case. No one's really like, hyper concerned about that because that's the somewhat obvious way that this plays out uh, in the most probable case. But we're also we need to we're talking about the edge cases here. And the way that I see this going is that if the, ta the miners don't activate taproot for whatever reason, right, you will eventually see a UASF movement. The UASF mo movement will eventually happen. Too many. I have not seen a single person. Uh, argue against having taproot at all. The only disagreement has been on around how we get it there. And, you know, the the intolerant minority is going to be the the UASFers. And they like whether it's, you know, this year or, you know, several years from now, it's like it's go it's going to happen. The UASF is eventually going to to sort of boil over. So like if, that, if, I don't if, see if it Bitcoin, going any other way. If Bitcoin is good, right? And a bad US UASF shows up, Bitcoin should, like, let's say a user activated soft fork shows up that tries to inflate the supply of Bitcoin, right? Oh, that wouldn't be a soft fork. That'd be a hard fork. User activated hard fork. So, you know, you know what I mean? Like, Bitcoin should theoretically have the right incentives in place to, to fend off a, a very bad UASF, right? Right. If no one runs the rules, like, it won't, uh, result in any changes right even if the code got written so like if, if you inflate the supply like like bitcoin social contract is 21 million all right like no one's going to run those rules the reason right. that the taproot rules have a near certainty of going through is that they're non-invasive right the the taproot outputs the way that they work is that look if you don't want to use taproot you don't have to use taproot uh, if you don't want to even want, if you don't even want to validate the taproot rules, which I don't recommend, but like you actually can <laughs> leave your node pointed at 0.21.0 and it will stay in consensus with the network as long as the majority hash power is not trying to, uh, push through transactions that are invalid under the taproot rules. Uh, but otherwise like, you know, you don't have to interact with the, the upgrade at all. It's completely, uh, opt-in non-invasive. And the it, because it's designed as a soft fork, the forks actually have a tendency to converge over time, even in the, the presence of disagreement. The key aspect is is that someone can just pretend that Tapper doesn't exist; they can continue using Bitcoin. Right. Right. That's the diff That's the main difference between. A and soft so, fork as and a hard as fork. a result, like there's not really a disincentive to being like, "Hey, uh, okay, you guys really want this upgrade? It doesn't affect me in any way, shape, or form." Like, okay, fine 
at it, right? There's there's not a strong disincentive to getting it activated. And, and so the and asymmetry be, of yeah. the argument is going to eventually converge on getting it activated. That's to not be, true for something that inflates the supply. <laughs> to be clear here, freaks, the reason this discussion is being had is because if Bitcoin is easy to change, if you're able to just have like an auto update to Bitcoin, um, that itself is a vulnerability. We can have an auto update that just adds vaccine passports or some shit. Um, and, like and, and, and says a, a user activated soft fork where uh, it, it sends you can only send Bitcoin to a burn address. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> or, or like yeah. you can only send Bitcoin to the feds and then the feds will will send it to where it needs to go. Right. You can just you can easily see situations where if you have an auto update, it becomes a vulnerability. So everything we talk about here is about being able to upgrade when we need to upgrade in this case um, or when we would like to upgrade at least uh, without the risk of an upgrade the vulnerability itself right and to go back a little bit keegan uh where do you see start nine like in this world like how does this yeah right? like so, this is so confusing and like if, you have a bunch of users how do they deal with this and how do you deal with that with them so what i what i want and this is a very tricky discussion because there's like there's a certain level of responsibility we as the publishers of these things have to maintain but what i would like is that should a uasf client materialize so so first of all if, if bitcoin core does a release that includes taproot activation code we're just going to put that as a, a package upgrade for the the bitcoin uh package that we already have on the embassy uh if a uh, a uasf client materializes that gets a decent amount of support uh we would like to be able to put that on there too and uh, it will probably come with a thousand warning labels because what uh, by running that software, you're essentially saying like, these are the consensus rules I'm choosing to abide by. We'll probably have like a very long detailed blog post about what running that means or something like that. But ultimately I do not want to bar a UASF client from our package registry. Well, what one, about the opposite? Like a, uh, what, what is the opposite? The opposite is someone doesn't want to run it. They don't have to upgrade it, right? Like they just we, don't so, update. yeah. Right. Let me make something clear about the embassy in general. There are no forced upgrades in the embassy, right? Uh, the like it, it's a stance that we've taken since the very beginning. It's like if you install a piece of software, that software will not auto update. It might it might inform you that an update exists, right? right. Depending on whether you've opted into the into knowing that or not. But it will not force you to update. And if you if you use a piece of software today, it will you it will work the same way tomorrow. It may not be supported necessarily, but it won't be like it won't. We won't just break your software ever. So, if a UASF client comes out and you don't want to run it, don't upgrade. Period. End of story. And do you agree that, like me personally, like I'm not concerned about this risk. Period. At all. And and the reason, the main reason for me is because there's so many competitors. Do you agree that the fact that there's like so many options for people to be running their nodes on, on, on at least a Raspi, uh, that it's, uh, it, it kind of keeps you all in check that like, yeah, you're not going to sure. get like power hungry. Yeah. I think, I think competition in general keeps a lot of like, like it keeps organizations honest. Um, but even if we didn't have competition, uh, it's a, it's a fundamental ethos thing for us that we do not want people to, 
like, like we, we do not want to force upgrades on users. It's like, it's like a, it's a hard stop in any design discussion that happens at start nine is that if it takes away user sovereignty over the ability to run their own software, then it's a non-starter. We will make all sorts of decisions about whether what things we choose to support indefinitely and what things we choose not to support and like and dedicate our own resources to. But uh, we will never force, like for, for, for as long as I hold an officer position at this company, like we're not going to force upgrades <laughs> on users. I love it. Right? I really like th that that way of thinking about it. And, and I, I um, not to plug my own shit, but like a while plug back it. I did a, a podcast episode about... Um, it's called better won't be easy and it's about ux basically me being um triggered by um a certain podcaster who always complains about bitcoin ux and and the uh, the the kind who of the that? thing oh somebody and so the 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 idea <laughs> is that like what would the easiest to run bitcoin node be like you click a button and now you have a bitcoin node like congratulations you know that would be the best, easiest to use Bitcoin node. You click one button and, and now you have a Bitcoin node. But well, what were all the decisions that were made? Like how, where yeah, is that's that hosted? A, Who that's an hosts excellent that? Point. Which version of Bitcoin core, you know, is it running and will it change underneath your feet? You know, if, you, if, if it was so easy that all you had to do was press a button, you wouldn't be making the decisions that are relevant to running an economic Bitcoin node. It's kind of similar reasons why people don't really ha have much care for like a nodes running in AWS, um, where because you, you, you've kind of lost a little bit of sovereignty. Um, but you, if you lost all the sovereignty, it, it wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be any point to it. And, and if Bitcoin nodes were so easy to run that you could do it with a button, then anything that they have to do with like these UA, these, these soft forks and stuff, well, somebody could just spin up like 5 million nodes, you know, if they had the money to do it. And, and that would matter to the network if, 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 if those nodes mattered to the network, but it's obvious that they don't matter to the network, at least as far as I'm, I know, because nobody's done that to try to like change Bitcoin so that they get, you know, like so, money. Printed. So, yeah, let me let me talk a second about how we approach this in, in other ways, at least on the embassy, is that like so the big uh, your Bitcoin node as it stands has tons and tons of configuration options, like uh, all, all sorts of stuff that you could change about it. Uh, a lot of it can be uh, is, is it spans the, the gambit from trivial to uh, important, but still technical. The what we want. Our, our, our goal with the embassy in general is to get the software to a point where the this, the only decisions you have to make are the ones that sort of have a consequence to you and that we take care of the rest. So we have a very uh, sophisticated configuration system that takes the, the bitcoin.conf file that is I always have to look up the syntax for every time I want to change something. <laughs> and we've turned it into a GUI system where you can just click through all the options and, and it will guide you towards... Uh, uh, structurally correct answers, but it won't make any decisions for you on what values you put in there. So obviously you won't be able to put a word where there's a number where a number belongs or vice versa, and then cause your node to not start up. What we would like, and th this is kind of why I advocate at least to core to be able to have, make this a flag or a config option in the, uh, the, 
in the bitcoin.conf file is that that way a user could just say, you know, hey, I want to run the UASF rules or no, I don't want to run the UASF rules, start the thing and then be done with it, right? Um, obviously, that has a lot of consequences for the network at large, but it's no different than it, it, what it does is it reduces it, you from having to know how to fork and write code to being able to do it from your home. Um, so like we've done a tremendous amount of work to try to bring a lot of that sovereignty and eliminate a lot of the extraneous knowledge or decision-making uh, from the product. And I don't know how the other node products compare in that particular way, but I know it's something that we've poured a lot of effort into. Um, well, I'm so. looking forward to you guys all fighting over this personally. Um, yeah, me too. We'll, we will cover it so. on Rabbit Hole Recap. Uh, I look forward to covering it. Uh, I, I think that's what that's what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin. I think it's really cool that we have all these different competitors um, offering user friendly solutions. Uh, and and I think they they you like if if you wanted to if you hundred percent believed in Taproot, I would completely support your decision to provide like basically shove that update down people's throats. I mean, I I prefer if you didn't auto update, but I'd com I'd be completely fine with you offering the update without, um, or like with change log notes that are like, this upgrades Bitcoin and does it better, you know. Yeah. And I, I assume other others would be like, you know, if it was actually contentious, they would be like, this update is bad for Bitcoin and that's why we're not doing it. And they would do the opposite, and that's kind of cool, right? Yeah, the, 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 that's the other thing is that in, insofar as we do make choices that influence or, or sort of constrain the number of choices users have, we will usually try to explain, like we, we, we try very hard to have full transparency on all the changes that go into any sort of package upgrade. But that's, that's an ever growing art form, right? Because like trying to distill all the pieces of code that change in order in, into sentences that a user can understand uh, is more art than science. But that right. that transparency is super important because even if you do have the choice to, to upgrade or not, if you don't know what you're getting or if we tell you one thing and you get another, then you're kind of back at square one. So um, that's it's something that's important to us. I have no way to prove that we do that, right? Other than like we, we make, we all the, the packages are open source code. And if you kind of watch us like a hawk, you can you can see that we're, we're doing that. But um so Other than get, that, it's something that we just we try to do better every day. Got to start X-raying your own hardware and real get real get real cynical uh, about that. Like these open source apps, like you kind of have this idea. You don't call them apps. I think you call them services. Um, <laughs> I think Umbral calls them apps. Like, uh, and as far as I mean, um, on Umbral, like I haven't looked deeply in the documentation, but like they, it's, these are basically Docker containers that expect some some they expect probably Bitcoin core to exist. A lot of them, I guess, obviously a uh, Bitwarden doesn't. Um, but like, is, is there some possibility there for like some, some standardization or some, in some sense, like you guys could relinquish control over this, this thing. Like, is this, because it does seem like there's a convergence on this idea that I want to have raspberry Pis at my home that are running useful services for me that are developed by other people. And, while I would, I, I like that you guys are a company that are trying to make this easy. Uh, most of the value that you're providing is not um, uh, the, the actual software right. that I'm running 
is not stuff that you all develop from scratch. You know, you are, you're developing a, a easy to use, easy to maintain, um, hopefully easy to back up with buddy backup system, trademark 6102. Um, <laughs> he doesn't believe in trademarks, so <laughs> good luck right. with that. Yeah. So like, uh, we don't actually have almost any control much to the chagrin of our customer support effort actually. Um, but the, like, yeah, there are certain points where we have influence, right? Obviously when you kind of go and download these packages from the, uh, the, the marketplace, we get to decide what's listed on the marketplace. And, you know, we will do some curation of that. We will eliminate certain choices because we think that they present harm to the users. Um, but we actually already have engineered into the operating system a way to switch the uh, the source of package downloads. We don't yet expose that in the GUI, um, but that will eventually come. Uh, That's like, and a, so, like on Linux, you can add another... Um, like an apt cache, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have... We're aware of the points of trust that Start9, the company, uh, has, and we... We try to eliminate them over time. It's it's a it is a it's a growing process. You should uh, just and, own them, and, bro. Yeah, just and, and own I'm, them. Like what what is like people so so I have this service finalmessage.io, which I never show. I like if you want to <laughs> use it, fucking use it. I like I don't care. And like I came to the same fucking conclusion. It was like the main negative of the idea of offering a um a a a, a paid dead man switch is that you have to trust me to send the fucking dead man switch. Yep. And, and I could, I could, I could do the Vitalik mental masturbation all over again, like over and over and over again. But like it's solved by just having another service offer the same thing. Right. And no, like, no. if you just yeah. have competition, if you have competition, like that trust is minimized and like, that's what it is. You don't have to like create like some magical trustless system. You just have to make a system that is right. that is effective, a, and you have competition, sense. and the competition provides the the needed trust minimized, right? Yeah, Matt, that that that's completely right. But at the same time, that doesn't alleviate us of the responsibility of trying to make things more trust minimized over time, right? Because I think that's what we're all doing here. And number two is we can't control whether or not we have competitors. In fact, we would like to be so good that people don't go for the competitors. You're gonna have competitors, um, right? Like, yeah, obviously competition is good for the consumer, but like we're trying to win. <laughs> so uh, like, and, and so insofar as that's the case, we're not going to be trying to like improve necessarily. Like we don't want to like shit on our competitors, but, but we're, like, like, in, we're, we're focused on delivering the best possible product we can. And some of that involves minimizing trust where there is some. And no, we're not going to enable, like all we can do is get progressively smaller, but we like, you're right. There is no panacea where it's like completely trustless, but it's infinitely easy. Like you're right that that doesn't well, that's exist. Like shit corners. We can make like it the better. Shit the shit corners try and pretend like there's a panacea somewhere. Right. But really right. at the end of the day, you kind of just need some competition. And, you just need some got, sure. services. And you've got to have like, yeah, you got to have uh, trust for anything that you don't understand or that you don't have the time to to understand um and then you, you have to have heuristics for how who and how and when you're gonna you're gonna trust and so you know almost any company is, is offering some sort of trust as a service uh, but like like aside from like the the how can people trust start nine like it's it's for me a lot of it's like 
like I have lived, you know, I, I have a history as like a, like a technology journalist and now I'm a software developer and I'm trying to like, um, absolve my sins, but, <laughs> um, but like, <laughs> like the, all of almost all the products in my life are provided to me by companies that want to have a monopoly and want to, and, and, and somehow it, it, I don't think it has to go hand in hand, but somehow it does go hand in hand where they kind of want to rule me, you know, like, Always. like, like they, they, they want to control how I use their product either as, as because they think it'll make me happier or maybe because they think it'll this isn't an authorized application product. paul have you considered right clicking open <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and it's so i don't know it's just so frustrating um so like i i see something like start nine and the fact that you guys are trying to make money on this half of me is like I'm so glad because this is exactly the thing that I want in my home. I want the thing that runs my Bitcoin node that it, that has easy to use backups and has Bitwarden on there and maybe like, you know, um, a VPN or, or, or Pi-hole or, or all sorts of, there's so many possibilities for self-hosted services and it's good that a good company is trying to make that right. But at the same time, I see a company that's trying to make money selling things that are kind of in some sense, open source. And I think, okay, well, what are they going to try to lock down? What are they going to try to make hard to use? Like, what are they going to, how are they going to fuck me? <laughs> That's what I, not, <laughs> not even in like, I don't think you're going to try yeah. to steal my UTXOs. He's 100% going to. I think you're trying, like, when I see that you're a business, I think you're going to, you're trying to ruin my life in some subtle, <laughs> prolonged Apple style way. <laughs> where right. I, like, I mean, fall in love with your product. It's a long time. Then, 20 years is going to fuck you with the Apple Watch. Yeah. It'll be like, it'll be like iMessage. <laughs> it'll be like iMessage where, like, it starts out like, oh, wow, we got read receipts and like uh, emoji reactions and a, a, like a, we're having a wonderful time and we're growing closer as a family. And now it's like, oh, iMessage means that if one person has Android, they're not, not they're not your friend anymore. <laughs> you know, that kind of that kind of fuck me. Yeah, the sort the walled garden thing is, is not necessarily something that we want to do. Right. Like uh, my my personal philosophy and and. and you know, this is me speaking as myself and not necessarily for the company, but it's like, I think that these things will work the best if the actual implementations are privatized so that people are incentivized to compete and they're rewarded for competing well, but that the protocols are open and permissionless so that if a customer is dissatisfied with someone's service, that they can easily take it to a competitor, right? Um, and and to, to Matt's point, right, the existence of competitors is important there. And the... The protocol openness is important, right? I wouldn't be so angry at the way that their, our bank situation was if I could very easily just like, if, if, bank, if banks were easily being able to be started like from zero, then we wouldn't have nearly the same like crony corruption that we do in the United States today, right? Mm. That, that barrier to entry, and that's intrinsically re related to the protocol openness. So, uh, yeah, like you're, you're right to say that there are these sort of like odd incentives, but the, the, the upside is that the incentives to compete also are what brings uh, investment into the space that actually improve the, the products and services that we have. And so 
there is this fundamental trade-off between the totally open source. In fact, it's probably even a good thing that, you know, these, like these nodes need to be able to be run by a person who's just a hobbyist in their basement, building it from scratch from themselves. Right. Uh, so like, it's good that that exists. It needs to continue to exist because it keeps the rest of us honest. But at the same time, right, like there is there is real value to be created by uh, making these these things streamlined and, and investing individuals' time who need to eat and sleep and you know, or like they need they need food and shelter and things like that, for them to take their time and trade it uh, to be able to invest in these spaces. So like it's I, it's a I tough think, question. Yeah, I think streamline is a really good word for it because like like. 95% or, or I don't know, 78% of what Apple does is make my life more streamlined. And then the other, other 22% is like making my life harder ex exactly because they're trying to protect their, like their moat, you know? Yeah. So like, like they, they have like the incentive to do both things. They want to delight me, but they also, they don't want me to leave. Like, so like you right. guys have like, like cups, right? You guys have your own yeah. um, messaging service. And it always kind of bugs me because like, it seems like peer to peer messaging should be more of a thing. Like I remember at work, like the internet would go out back when we had offices, the internet would go out and Slack would be down. And so like, you couldn't like chat with people who are like literally like a, a table away from you, you know, and it's yeah. so, so dumb that we don't have, you know, like more, like direct messaging anyway. So like, you guys have cups, but like a lot of people are real into like, like Sphinx right now. Like, like yep. how do, how do those, when do Sphinx, when Sphinx, uh, <laughs> I, pu I public, I published it to our beta <laughs> channel yesterday. Oh, that's dope. so it's imminent. Uh, I am not going to reveal how you get to the beta channel on this cast because I, I will get in trouble with a handful of people, but it, the point is, is that the work has been done and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's coming imminently. Who in the live chat is going to tell us how to get to the beta channel? <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone can. Um, well, actually I, that's not true. They, they absolutely can. If you, if you go and run look, look through the operating <laughs> system code, you can figure it out. All right. uh, so there's a puzzle, but, but here's the thing. If you, if you're, if you are a, like, uh, if you are skilled enough to be able to figure it out, I'm not worried about, uh, you doing it because it, it's it's just fine. We do that because like things that we don't have the customer support uh, like ability to do, or things aren't refined enough that they're going to generate a bunch of support load. We don't necessarily want to publish it to uh, you know a whole bunch of people who are going to immediately ask us a ton of questions. But if you are skilled enough to figure out how to point yourself at the beta channel, you're skilled enough to answer your own questions. So Sphinx Chat is pretty cool. Uh, Sphinx Chat is a Lightning based. Um encrypted messaging services that allows you to send uh lightning payments it, every message is a lightning payment so it's it's lightning payment native um and we have tribes for both citadel dispatch and tales from the crypt so if you go to tribes.sphinx.chat you can find those if you go to dispatch.com you can also find the join code for our, which, our specific tribe just to be clear like that's such a stupid idea in the long run why like, you should use lightning for discover if you know like somebody's public key you can use lightning to like find where they are but once you know where they are and like 
have exchanged some messages with them, like encrypted it or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I invited you. Should you should DM like over right. like, the internet still works. Like, you know, the it, lightning, does is it? A layer, li- lightning is a layer on top of, of, of the internet. And once you, <laughs> once you find somebody on the internet, you should just direct well, no. message them. So, so I think there's some nuance here, uh, Paul, I think that it makes sense. Uh, that like, why would I use a private chat through lightning with you? Right. You're my boy. I, yeah. we message through Keybase or matrix, right? Like sure. we have, we already have an existing channel to talk. Um, why am I going to pay lightning payments for it? For a group chat, it makes more sense because for a group chat, um, you're able to, well, with Citadel Dispatch specifically, right? Is, is what am I trying to build over at Citadel Dispatch Sphinx chat, right? I'm trying to build a, a place where well, you can have, well, a, where you can have actionable Bitcoin discussion, right? And, yeah. and, and you can you can talk about things that are important for Bitcoin. And because of the way it's set up, I can set it up so it costs you sats to send a message so we don't have spam. And it costs you sats to join so there's a, there's a level of exclusivity, right? So you have like this kind of exclusive group that is encrypted that like if, if you're a spook, you have to pay the sats to be the spook, right? Like there, mm. there's, there's an, it's an interesting concept in, in for group chats more so than for individual chats. Would you agree? Wait. And so, well, I don't know how their group chat works. It is a very interesting concept and it has a lot of good benefits. I agree. But like how, are, when you send a message to a group chat, it's not routing all of those messages as separate yeah, it is. to every single participant in the group chat. chat. My understanding is yes. So when if, if there's a hundred people in a group chat, I'm sitting a hundred lightning transactions. Yeah, I, yes, that's my understanding. No, it's to, it's to the it's to the tribe host. As far and as the I tribe know. host is then sending the messages out. Isn't aren't they? That's actually that's a that's a great question. I'm I'm not actually so sure. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's what would be stupid. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the tribe host is then relaying it out. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not well versed enough in it to be able to, to comment authoritatively. I don't think Ty, they're lightning. They're not it. lightning. They're not lightning payments out, but they're relaying the message out via yeah, like the sounds, internet. Right. Exactly. And so they're they're taking on that cost, so they get the payment. Does that make sense? You should get I, Paul on here and have him explain it. I guess. But yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you. Okay. Well, anyway, it's pretty cool. I think it's cool. It's fun. Uh, the, the, the cool, the coolest part is the streaming value. Um, but that's, that's podcast only. I mean, that, that it's a very cool concept. I mean, fuck podcast ads, right? Like we're all fucking sick of that yeah. shit. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of us, well, and, and actually this is kind of ties into what, what uh, Paul was saying earlier is that, you know, the, the, the downside of free products is that the, they, the creators and maintainers of those either have to do maintain it through altruism, which may not scale, mm-hmm. or they have to get paid for their work. And the nice thing is that if you pay someone to do a thing, you're, they're much less likely to, to sort of screw you out the, out the back door, right? Um, like, 
in, in the case like the, the the most egregious violations of people's privacy and sovereignty come from like companies like Google, who you're not paying a dime to use any of their products, right? Um, right. Apple is an interesting case because by and large, they actually don't screw you over, right? They do try to create this walled garden that keeps you in, but uh, a lot of times they're not like strip mining your data and stuff like that. At least not not anywhere remotely at the scale that like Google and Facebook are, uh, which are no notably free services. So yeah. the you know the the goal that we have like at Start Nine generally is to, is to try to get paid when we do provide value, and then you know not get paid when we're not, um, and that try that that keeps us honest, right? Um, and I think that that's a good model for a lot of these things, whether it's podcasting and you're streaming sats for for uh, you know, seconds of audio feeds or, or whatever, because then you're not, you don't have podcasters who are selling out to various companies who have misaligned incentives. And you, like a lot of people just want to pay for good stuff. <laughs> Ty in chat. I, I couldn't read it for a while because it was behind Matt's stupid QR code. It's not but, stupid, bro. It's the future. Says, you you want to talk about stupid can, QR codes? Are you happy? Are you happy now? It. I can't read it. It's something about nudes <laughs> behind a paywall in Sphinx chat. Thanks, Ty. I'm sorry that Matt hates <laughs> uh, Ty's the boss. Uh, he's talking yeah, about he's nudes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think Sphinx chat, um, I love Sphinx chat. I think Sphinx chat is the, 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 the key value prop of it is going to be only fans. It's going to be only sad. Yeah. Um, only sats. I, I think it is, is a fantastic messaging service. Uh, to do permissionless payments for nudes, hundred percent. And porn kills everything. Like, look, look. At the end of the day, porn made every single major technological advancement we've ever had. That's um, that's over. A, that's a, you can go. No, no, it's not overblown. You can go back to 1918 when they like had the first phone call. It was like a sexy chat, and and you know it. You know it's true. The first phone call was a sexy chat. Well, like the third one was. You know it was. <laughs> Well, not the, the first one. one. The first one was like a public so it wasn't test. wasn't the first one. The, the first one's always a public test, but the one that made it matter, like the 17th call was the a one, sexy chat, the, right? The first one for money. The first one for money. It's always sex. Sex sells. It's, in, it's interesting because like even with developers, you know, like there's some there's some efforts to like support um, like uh, developers like, like for – uh, Pierre has, <laughs> what is it? It's like for uh, actual, for a pull request. Is it for an issue? Like, can you sponsor an issue or something? Oh, it, Bitcoin it, Axe. Bitcoin it's Axe. It's very com. hard to pay developers. I, I say this as well, we have Bitcoin Because like, you, you, if you're, if you're a developer and you think you can do something, you may be right or you may be wrong. And so, so when someone asks you, Hey, could you do this? And then you quote them a price, like the thing might be the hardest thing in the world or the easiest thing in the world. And, and unless you've done the exact same thing before you, you're not even sure upfront. So like, it is very hard to pay for development work. So I don't know. It makes sense that there's all these scammy startups that are trying to ruin my life. Well, I mean, this has nothing to do with development tech. work. Like, no one's going to use Sphinx to pay for development work, but they're going to use it for to pay for like porn s things. No, we were just Period. I was bringing it back to like we were talking about how we're monetizing. Start. Yeah, like we have we have Hamish. Umbral. We have Hamish in the comments. Hamish McEwen, and he's talking about a VHS one because it had porn. BBS was porn. 
Internet was made for porn. It's always freedom of expression. And then Ty yeah. also wanted everyone to know that I'm a porno historian. <laughs> so that's like that's true. It's true, box. right? Well, what? The porn connection to technological advancements was like kind of overblown, but like I, I'm not here coming with facts, so like I'm losing I'm losing. Look, the the killer I mean, use case of Bitcoin is going to be to pay your VR fucking prostitute. It's I mean, just yeah. we haven't hit that yet. Like, that's what it's going to be. You're not going to pay them in Libra. You're not going to pay them in USD coin or whatever the fucking regulated coin is because you're not going to want to fucking do that. That doesn't make any sense. You're going to need digital cash. You're going to need real money. I miss Libra so much. That was some of the best times that I ever had in my life was, like, reading the Libra white paper and, like, watching Libra explain Libra to Congress. (laughs) That was... That was so much fun, and they need to. Br- I just want Libra back, dude. I just want to say that I loved having you on a mainstream technology podcast. It was like really special that we had you for a little bit there. You're a you're you're our Joe Kernan insider. You know, it was oh, huge. Thank you. I tried my best. Um, I mean, I I I think our time is running out, so I want to hit some big points with you, uh, Keegan, before we end this. Um. First of all, uh, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin being designed to pump forever? Do you do you think it's designed to pump forever, or are you just trying to have fun staying poor? So I am I am like famously the bear bull. Like so so full disclosure, I I work in Bitcoin daily through Start Nine. I like my even just among the people who work at Start Nine, my focuses particularly on Bitcoin. The vast majority of my net worth is in Bitcoin. And yet I always seem to be the bearish one in any given room. Uh, So I I do think that it is designed to pump forever. I think that the rate at which it will pump forever is actually going to, I mean, it has to decline um, and it will converge something along the lines to, to to something like what economic growth is. I, but I also had this re- interesting exchange this morning on Twitter with Hector, um, who uh, plotted this very uh, interesting graph of the GDP versus the M2 money supply. And uh, what it showed was that the M2 money supply was expanding at a much faster rate than GDP. And I came to the, the interesting realization that it's possible that as co- economies get more complex, and the trade cycles elongate because that's why we have money is to be able to trade, you know, uh, various goods and services between each other without having to come up with a, a barter. And so as com- economies get more complex, people specialize more into goods and services. The need for money, uh, the need for liquidity in general goes up. And if it goes up in a nonlinear way, it actually might pump a lot more than I originally expected. Which is because you know if the the economy gets super complex and that means that you need you know if the the economy is twice as complex for whatever uh, metric you want to use, and that requires four times as much liquidity. Well, of course that might in the fiat world that'll involve an expansion of the M two money supply. But in a Bitcoin world, we can't expand the money supply. So the only thing that can happen is that the money itself will be more and more valuable in, in response to that needed liquidity. So. I don't know where I actually stand on that, but that was a very, that was an epiphany I had this morning that I haven't totally digested yet. So 
Short answer is yes, it's designed to pump forever. The jury's out on by how much. I mean, I think That's even the in best like answer I've heard on this this no, stupid show so far. No, it was stupid show. You fucking <laughs> listen to every fucking episode. Uh, I I uh, thank you for joining guys on this stupid show. Uh, I I uh, <laughs> two hours in. Um, I I just want to. In a post-fiat world, Bitcoin still pumps forever. Yeah, relative to but goods it, and but services, like, but, but by like, how no, much? But like the purchasing power, the purchasing the power is going to increase forever. Yes, but not like a two hundred. I, I like this distinction. It's not. It's not going to do two hundred percent. No, no, per, definitely not. Don't, no one thinks forever. that. Does anyone think right. that? But but I haven't heard that. No, but it, it's going to pump differently. But, it'll pump but, it'll pump decently like you'll still you'll you'll have purchasing power increases if we're going to talk yes. like a proper you yeah. know glasses on economist economist like <laughs> economist you're talking economist. you're you're talking you're talking just like increased purchasing power like every every year you're just like your houses get that cheaper was, no no joke that was one of like the biggest things like for me to like when i went from someone who's like interested in bitcoin and just live listening to rabbit hole recap and just like, Oh, what, what is this thing? You know, to like, Oh, I'm a Bitcoiner. Was that, that realization, like it, it, at minimum it's GDP percent forever. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's store. It's, it's where we, store, it's, it's where we, st it's where we store our wealth. So however much wealth we create in a year, it's, it's at least goes up that much. I don't totally understand what you're saying with these complex financial <laughs> things. It's not complex, no, bro. Sorry, sorry. What I what I meant by that is that like in a in a primordial economy where like you have fish uh, clothing and I don't know like spears or something like that, the need for liquidity is much lower than in a an economy where you could buy like a thousand or ten thousand different things. So as the economy improves and people specialize more that there will and there are more different things to buy the need for liquidity goes up but if the actual units of money that you have remains finite and the liquidity needs go up then money becomes a more attractive asset to hold which causes it to pump even more so that was the realization that i had this so like, morning so like in a simple economy i go to the convenience store there's only one twinkie so i i only need so much <laughs> liquidity but in a more complex economy there's like the the the, the convenience store could like 3d print me 10,000 Twinkies on demand. So I need the liquidity to be able to handle that kind of. Right. Uh, it, it, yeah. And it has <laughs> to do more with like how, how many different people have to be able to trade with each other until if you like such that if you remove the money, all their needs would be satisfied. And that is, uh, like that explodes very quickly. I like that way of thinking of it because like the other way to go is like, well, when do we introduce debt into this equation? And, and I, that just gets like debt has has done so much horrible stuff to like my generation and the previous generation. Like I, I almost don't want to think about it right now. You know, I want to stay so far away from it because I just want like real settlement, a real money, real value for, you know, for work. Well, so the thing about debt is that debt, debt it, when used for bad things is bad, sort of axiomatically, I guess, right? But uh, 
having society in debt is actually very, very bad. And that's what we're noticing. And we have been living through for the last decade, or I guess longer than that. Um, but, you know, having debt at all is not necessarily a bad thing. It helps finance a lot of projects that are basically that they're they are net productive to society they're net productive to the parties involved but the order of events are not such that they can actually happen so i think we'll still continue to have debt but the nice thing about bitcoin's uh finite and pump forever quality is that it sets a minimum interest rate floor pump forever quality. you have to you you have to beat uh the what the average investment so to speak in order for something to to work out because think about this right if nobody's lending any money and lending is like the only way that that projects are going to get financed um then eventually gdp effectively goes to zero like no net new productivity happens and if that's the case then you need 0.001% interest and then you're you're profitable but if the economy is going at like 2% a year right in terms of the amount of output that it's generating then you have to beat 2% um my favorite part so, about this show is 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 I just had a bunch of smart people talk about Bitcoin being designed to pump forever as Bitcoin's design pumping forever. Like it's just going up. Like it's just every episode, just the price is higher, which is going to be hilarious looking back. Like people are going to be, we're going to be at sad sand parody and people are going to be like, I don't fucking care what Keegan said about Bitcoin pumping forever. He was yeah, talking like, about it at 0. 0.006. I, yeah, I like dude, I'm just idea. a guy. Come, come back to me when, when debt is a, has a free market price, when there's interest rates are, are decided yes. on the free market, come back to me and let's, let's figure out how, how good debt is for us then. Like when it, when it's 20, 20%, you know, for, for a house loan, people aren't going to be such a big fan anymore. And I, I think that's going to be a real good, real good for us. I yeah, just don't know I, why I, you brought I, To be clear, in. I agree. Right. I just think that the, the, the financial instrument of debt is too useful to uninvent. But the fact right. that it's been abused for decades on end, uh, or actually probably the entirety of human history, most likely, or I guess it's really since the invention of fiat money. So post 1971, that uh, that's when things get just absolutely out of control. Right. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to say that what we're doing at at the U.S. Federal Reserve is like good. It's it, I unambiguously think it's terrible, but I don't think that even in a sound money system that uh, Bitcoin promises, do we have no debt? I think that it will yeah. still exist. No, there's a hundred percent going to still be debt. I mean, look, I'm gonna like Paul. I'll still lend you money. <laughs> I thought you were the guy that like turns people away when <laughs> they want water. <laughs> no, I, what the fuck, bro? You don't think yeah, I'm gonna fucking no. provide you and your family water? You've explained this to Marty a number of times. Like, I'm worried about all these people that they're going to want water post. Yeah, post and yeah but Paul, Paul you, and you, you and yours are going to get water. Oh, like, I'm, I'm not like, going to turn you guys away. Oh, I'm like the, the Canteon. The You're Canteon in the inside. You're in the inside. You came on, you came on Dispatch. You were a co-host <laughs> okay. on Dispatch. Oh, good. Man, yeah, any, so any, any of the guests on Dispatch, any of the ride or die freaks in the chat, like, they'll get preferential water treatment. But everyone else, you know? It's, it's going to be way. on a first come first serve basis. It is what it is. It's like You're I can't manufacture water. water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What you can do. Um, Keegan, uh, we have we have like we have about twenty minutes left. Um, it would behoove me to ignore this topic. Uh, it is probably one of the most fun topics in Bitcoin. Um, your so-called open source license does not allow 
commercialization of that license. Okay. Uh, you want to defend yourself and why that is important that you have commercial protection on that license and why that still is open source by your reser? So we've gone back and forth on this uh, plenty of times. So I, I will say that it's not, it's not something that we are uh, unambiguously sort of uh, gonna, we're, it's not necessarily a hill we're going to die on, but the what fed into some of the decision making is that in a world where we're selling, uh, here's the thing: this we're, what we're selling, what we're we're helping provide is trustware. It's like a, a piece of software that you have to be able to trust, and in order to trust it, you need to be able to know what you're running. So we we want we, we definitely the entire company is in agreement that we want the the source code to be out there so that people can audit it. Um, the question is around whether we want to sort of finance our competitors with our own hard efforts uh, to be able to uh, sort of essentially copy our business and, and, and move on. So that's that's the essential tension. And the way that we came down on it was like, look, we're, we're a young company. Uh, a lot of us are really like, we're, we're working full time without pay. And what we don't want is to get, you know, two years down the road and someone to just like with, with larger financing, be able to come in, copy everything and, and just uh, basically steal our work for the last uh, couple of years. Right. But, you know, obviously that presents different issues with, you know, people being able to, to you know, fork it and, and uh, you know, like modify it, use it for personal use, et cetera. So what we tried to do was strike a balance between allowing users like anybody who wants to to build it from source, uh, use it uh, for free, they can do so. At least that's the way we intended it to write. And if there are any like expert legal uh, folks who like look at our license and are like, "Oh, that license doesn't say you can do that," we'd love to hear from you because we're we're software developers first. And yes, we right. do have some legal counsel. But like, if the the license doesn't reflect the intent, it's not like we're gonna stay married to the license. But the intent is, if you're gonna build from source and use it for yourself. You should be able to do that free of charge, no problem. You should be able to, like, you know, uh, if you want to be make modifications for personal use, that should be uh, free of, like, like, you should be able to do that without intervention. We, the only thing that we're trying to avoid is various other people just being like, "Yo, oh, Start Nine is selling a bunch of devices right. with this operating system. Let's for, let's let's just steal it, put it on our own devices, you don't want me, and sell you, these, right." You don't want me and Paul to just start Start Ten or whatever. Yeah, start 10. exactly. <laughs> Right, and, and that's <laughs> that is the, it's the future of self-hosting. So, well, there, there, there's that's a really right. good example of this with with Graphene OS and what is it, um, uh, Copperhead? But no, that's not a good example. But it it kind of is an example. Well, I'm I, I'm I'm playing the devil. So you want to talk about that? I'm saying the devil being the person who would try to use the government to right. enforce intellectual property. That was a that was an anger between parties. A better example right. is the is is uh the fight that's going because that was just they were they were business partners and but but they disagreed right you have this you have this scenario where there's a free and open source project and someone else is trying to sell it and trying to monetize it and they're kind of being an asshole to the people who made it free and open source to the point where you'd think oh man i regret making this free and open source you know right Uh, but like I I, I and I, I said this to NVK as well. It's like he's the I, best example. He's the best. So like his 
Because it happened to him, right? He had a non he had a non partner completely fork his work, take investment based off of it, take pre orders based off of it, and he commercialized his work, right? Foundation devices. Uh, we we still don't have a hardware wallet from them yet. They have not shipped anything, and they but, took they they took investment and they took pre orders off of off of off of the work that him and Peter did over at CoinKite. But it it was open source. It was GPL, right? So, so I'm just saying, put don't use GPL. Use MIT, and then add no, no, MIT, fuck MIT. Add something to MIT that says, if I copy this and I sell no. it and I pretend like this was my. I disagree thing, with MIT. So I'm MIT, MIT says that anyone can use your source, whatever the fuck they want to do. Okay. Yes. GPL says anyone can use your source, but if they use your source, that has to be open source. So uh, what Start Nine does? One, one sec. What Start? What, yeah. sec. So, what Start Nine so, does, and what other organizations do is is they have a separate one that is that is you can do whatever the fuck you want to do with it, but if you want to sell the software, then you have to get it licensed. Those are the th- like the three levels. So it's like soft software open plus source. Joe Biden. It's like software plus the executive branch of the U.S. The problem, the problem with MIT is you could have a private corporation come in and hoove up all of your fucking things, all of your fucking code, but they can't and they can sell it. it. They, they can, can sell it, but they but they can sell it as closed source. MIT, they can sell it as closed source. Go for so it. They're the asshole. No, they no, but 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 with GPL, they're go. forced with GPL, they're forced to at least keep it yeah, open. And, who forces so them? if you're gonna if you're gonna Who do them? the I mean the oh, government but so but, you're just but, like you're just saying hey, but, but I'm saying if you live in a government world you might as well go GPL world. instead of MIT you don't want to go MIT That's because MIT you just allow MIT you're just allowing them to just take your fucking software and just no, create dude, AWS dude. AWS is all fucking MIT software that they just kept closed and they just didn't I, open I'm, up. I'm a software developer. I avoid GPL like the plague because GPL Why? is designed to be, it's designed to be a virus. It's designed to ruin or not to ruin. It's designed to turn everything it touches into GPL. And hey, that's the beauty that. of it. It's gorgeous. No, it's, it's disgusting. It's trying to use government power to force. MIT is way worse. MIT is way. way worse. I don't want fucking blue wallet to be MIT and then just have like to fucking cash app, just like releases blue wallet, closed source and just takes their fucking code. Who cares? Then they're the asshole. If someone copies something and they're obviously not contributing, it should to still it, be fucking open asshole. source at that point. And that's what GPL does. If if you live in a world that has fucking law and shit, GPLs for like communists, MIT's for anarchists. Are you? I will say, Matt. Matt uh, Are you a if- I'm. I'm trying not to interrupt. You guys both talk. Uh, v- before LR was upset with me that I interrupted you guys. So you guys just, you guys let, let us know what you think about the open source licenses. I, I, I will say this is that we GPL is the only other model that I think that we would try to consider. Right. And I, uh, you know, that I, I, I actually can't say anything definitively about where we're going to be going with this. Um, but I will say that things like, the MIT are pretty much off the table, at least for now. The unlicensed 61.02 talked about is off the table for now. And, you know, that just has to do with the fact that, like, we're 
you're, you're we're committing all of our effort to to do this on a daily basis and that has to get financed somehow if, look if someone has a better idea for how to finance this like this work uh because we, like this value creation indefinitely like i i i'm not gonna sit here and say that this is the only way we're ever gonna make this work um it's just we haven't figured out a better way and we would like to be able to keep doing this we think it's valuable we think other people think it's valuable and uh, you know that's that's kind of where we're at right now. I I totally feel that, and and like I was I was saying early on, like it's that tension between I I'm so glad that there's a company that I can give money to that is trying to make the thing that I want. You know how yeah. exciting is that? Um, but from the software side, I see a license that's not um, that's not MIT, and it's it's it it's not useful to me <laughs> as like from a development perspective i'm glad it's i i look at you you have you have source viewable you know i i'm glad that myself and other people can inspect what you're trying to ship and and make sure that you're not like stealing funds with it you know but it's not something that's interesting to me as part of the 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 canon of open source software you know which is what is very important is it's something that i feel like we're slowly building software that allows that really empowers us it makes us private. It makes us um, able to communicate. Uh, it makes us able to transact, you know, with money. Um, but um, th th this is not that, you know, this is a product that you're selling that then you're also showing us the code that you yes. ship to people. And I'm glad for that. Um, but but it's not it's, it doesn't feel like open source to me. Yeah, it's, it's like it's open source code in the sense that like you can see the code. It's not open source code as in like it's like oh, like owned by everyone, so to speak. Yeah. But it's two things, right? And like I think, feel like it's important that we don't conflate the two things. Like it's very important yeah. that people are able to view the source. And, and for the average person, the ability to manipulate the source and do whatever the fuck they want to do with it is important. And for most people, the fucking license doesn't matter in that effect because no one's going to enforce, you know, Paul or John or some random schmuck like changing the code for his own whatever well, he wants yeah. to do. No, and, and, and but, not only that, but like our license in theory shouldn't even like bar you from manipulating the code and using it however you want, with the exception of if you try to then turn around and commercialize it. But then right? you have something different, which is this idea of the code surviving virally. Right. And that idea revolves around uh, a permissive license so that a user doesn't have to worry about it. Like for a, a perfect example, I don't know if it's a perfect example. It's actually probably not a perfect example, is that every episode of Citadel Dispatch ends with copyrighted content that gets taken down from a bunch of different uh, service providers. Right. And, and the reasoning is because of the licensing, right? So the licensing doesn't allow that information to be free. And, and you have the same effect with software. So you don't have, um, you don't have the hive mind working on things if, if it's only source viewable and it's not proper correct. open source, right? Something Anthony points out um, in chat, Umbral has a very similar license. It's like Creative Commons. Right. No, and that no has not been controversial at all. It sucks. And, and, <laughs> I'm being and something with something with like a really good license is um, Nick's Bitcoin. And I and I really like it uh, conceptually. It's got an MIT license. Um, and I and I like I hate the idea. MIT. 
of, of, of Nyx in general, but I've tried to run Nyx and I completely failed. <laughs> Nyx is a I'm very not, expert piece of technology. I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not smart enough. Umbral is very easy to run. So, so I, I see how, how hypocritical I am with this. But, no, so MIT is wrong though. Still, I'm still against oh, MIT. I think MIT is just MIT is us lowering our shields. MIT is us being like, oh, we're about to line up for war, but war doesn't matter. It's fine. We're all in this together. We're humans. So and GPL you know? is like, hey, let's line up for war, and I hope no. Joe GPL Biden's is like, GPL is like. If you're going to take this, I will be angry at you unless you line up next to me. That's what I'm saying. MIT plus you're an asshole if you commercialize this <laughs> against my will. That's that's the license that I'm promoting. But that's exactly because, what Matt is saying, though. With the that's what GPL the is. No, GPL involves the government. No, no. We have them to have, all we all have licenses to, involve the government. Who's enforcing whatever the fuck you want them to enforce? We have to figure out intellectual well, property okay. if there is such a thing sans government if we're gonna if we're gonna have this bright beautiful future that we're all planning on the cool part about gpl is it gives it, us water <laughs> the cool part about gpl is it forces corporations to fucking keep it open source and and mit doesn't so you can just have with mit it's so loose of a license that you could just have and this is what happened with AWS. AWS Who just forces the license doesn't AW, AWS Who forces a, them to do it. Who forces oh, them? Oh, we ended up in a situation where AWS like runs a shit ton of the internet and they're doing it on open source software that is closed source on their side because they took MIT software and they're a public company. So they have people that they have to respond to. They can't just like hide it. You know, they they're they're aware well of it. They're well aware of it. I we have tie in here. There's no IP. I understand. Okay. Like if, if we want to be ANCAPs, I understand. Okay. But Amazon's not being an ANCAP. They're using the MIT license in a cap if, world, if, if in a non-ANCAP world. And they're, they're, they're using work, it to their advantage. If ANCAP doesn't work while people are being, um, no, no, am I don't know what <laughs> while, while status exists. If ANCAP doesn't ex work while status still exists, then ANCAP doesn't work. I'm not, I'm not defending ANCAP. I'm just saying that in an ANCAP world, licenses don't matter. It's, it's the licenses are all coming down to government enforcement, period. And the, 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 it's embedded in the concept of a license at all. Amazon is admitting to Amazon admits that they took all this open source software. They just took it and was MIT. Wait, wait, Daddy Warbits, you're leaving. Don't leave yet. Um, Daddy Warbits has two tickets uh, for Bitcoin 2021 that he wants to either auction off or raffle off on the next Citadel Dispatch because we did not communicate together about how we were going to fucking do that. So tune in next week for that. Thank you, Daddy Warbits. We appreciate you. Cheers. Um, all these other conversations, I appreciate. This is this was a great conversation. I think this was very good. I, I appreciate both of you uh, jumping in here. I appreciate 6102 saying that IP is the biggest fraud. Doesn't work. And ANCAP doesn't work. Does work. ANCAP does work. Look at Torrance. 
That's the torrents don't solve who makes the movies. Exactly. So I, I'm trying to be very sympathetic and to what what you you guys are doing, what what MVK is doing, what Umbrella is doing. Um, but I personally am going to try to trend in the direction of um, of software that I can um, that I feel comfortable with the the that it's part of the canon of software and it's not someone's product, you know. I mean, yeah, like, uh, yeah, and that is that is certainly your prerogative and choice, right? Um, like I said, the, we made the, we made choices that we did because that was what we saw um, being able to allow us to continue to do work and to to help create value for the ecosystem. And the 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 day we find a better way to create a sustainable uh, arrangement where people can get can can create value and then get paid for it, then like we'll, we'll do that. Um, and so I, I don't, I, I'm neither going to apologize for the decisions we've made and nor, and nor am I going to die on the hill saying yeah, that we're dude. going to do this in perpetuity and everybody can go fuck themselves for telling us not to do it. Like I'm, I'm like, to me, this is a, it's, it's like, it's like a work in progress. And like, 100%. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to understand, you know, better models or, or whatever. So I, I want to get one of these uh, and just run Bitwarden and Mastodon. <laughs> I already got Umbral synced, so I don't even need to. I think I think if you over. really care about open source, like you should just fight about this till you die. Like I think that's just like the we should we should just like we should just constantly argue about this and just fluctuate our opinions. Like our opinions should change dramatically from now until like thirty years from now, but we should just argue it the whole fucking time. And I think that's uh, the important part with open source. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do. I appreciate. I hundred percent. Like I, I will defend you guys. Uh, I will defend your license uh, until the end of the show. I'm not <laughs> the end of this show. Like this episode. Like to the end of of until I leave. Um, well, we and, and I will it. go back and forth because I, 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 I completely understand the concept. It makes sense to me. It's capitalism yeah, and, and- at its finest. Yeah, and, and the, the thing is, like, we, we don't expect everyone to agree, but uh, we're also not, like, it's not a position that I think all needs a ton of defending, right? It's like, all I right. think it's a it's a reasonable position, even if you don't agree with it. My, my um, optimistic Well, I mean, hope, if you don't think it needs defending, then I won't defend it. What? <laughs> my my hope is that in the long run, like, it, 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 it isn't a trade-off. Like, my, my dream would be that you guys would move to MIT and that you, like, your profits would improve. And I the, can't prove that that would actually happen, but that would be awesome for the, me. The, the secret, Paul, Paul, the secret is as long as the source is viewable, none of this fucking matters unless you're trying to fucking be Tim, Tim Apple on this. Like you're just trying to make money off of them. If you're not trying to make money off of them, they can't enforce any of this shit. And that's the beauty of source viewable. Like you should just be able to see the source. As long as you can see the source, I'm good. Oh, what if I'm what if I'm just like what if I'm just building something interesting? So and build it as copy, a nim, bro. And I want to copy and paste some of their code. build it as a nim. Whole, and if they the try and shut you down, if they try and shut you down, it'll be the best advertisement ever for what you're building. Like that's the case. Like it doesn't fucking matter. Um, Keegan, it's been a fucking pleasure. Thank you for joining us. It's been yeah, a long thank time you for coming. Having me. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, time to like really flew so. Yeah, it was it was great to meet you. Uh, it was great to have you back on the show, but it was great to meet you in Bitblock Boom. Um, do you have any any final thoughts for um, 
<laughs> Zitoshi's upset with me in the comments. Um, do you have any final thoughts for the freaks before we end this? Just keep building, man. Right. Build whatever you can. Like it doesn't, none of this happens without everyone. So that's all um, I have to say. hundred percent. Zitoshi, I agree with you. If someone's going to like fuck around with me for manipulating things, then they can go fuck themselves. I a hundred percent agree on that. Um, future Paul, Yo. what's up? What final thoughts before we end this? Everybody should read my uh, piece called Christianity for Bitcoiners, where I try to shill you on Christianity from a Bitcoiner perspective and basically call everybody shitcoiners for believing in more than one God. So, I love it. So just check that out. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Paul this weekend. Uh, we're going to have a fantastic barbecue together. It's going to be a good time. It's going to um, be all open source licensed. Time. All open source. Like people can just compete with us. Uh, not not commercially. Um, and it'll, it'll be a fun time. Uh, I, I appreciate all you freaks for joining us. This was fucking awesome. Uh, consider using your own Bitcoin node. Check out star9labs.com. Um, if you haven't heard about The Verge, it's a great uh, publication. <laughs> Go follow both of these guys. And uh, I love you all. Thank you for joining. Peace.
top, top, top. All my people right there in the back of the spot. I need a top, 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 top. If you know me, you don't know me to stop. I need a top, 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 top. All my people there in the back of the spot. Let them shout. Yeah. Cheers, freaks. You're the fucking best. Thank you for staying till the end. And uh, I love you all. We'll see you for Rabbit Hole Recap on Thursday. And we'll see you for another fucking great uh, Sill Dispatch rip on Tuesday. That's going to be Ben the Carmen and Evan Kaloudis. It's going to be fucking dope. We're going to talk about Taproot. I'll fucking grill them on all the bullshit. And it'll be a good time. Love you all. Have a good time. Peace.